Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 240. Getting up there toward five years in a row. I can't believe it. Uh, joining us this week, back for their third time as a pair, uh, Beth and Dave Coombs of Light 98.7. Love chatting up Beth and Dave. Great conversation. Always fun talking to them. Uh, also this week, Kevin and I are going to have a long conversation uh, about the passing of Kobe Bryant. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, politics and the nuance of discussing politics. Uh, we're going to talk about Gritty, Mr. Peanut, and uh, nine restaurants in Utica you may not have been to, plus a couple more that we tossed on because we love talking food. Uh, all that, folks, and so much more, as always, we are happy to have you here for another episode of the Uticast. Ooh, yes. Coffee, nice yeah, and gritty. Coffee, That's yeah. how you know it's working. Well, we're gonna talk about gritty a little bit later. Different okay. kind of gritty. Um, welcome back to the show, folks. Episode two hundred and forty. We are ten weeks away from our five-year anniversary. I've just mm. now just now realized. There you go. Uh, I think it's how it works out. Ten weeks away. Hard to say. I don't know. <laughs> I gotta think about the math. Fifty-two times five is mm-hmm. probably wrong. I don't know. We're getting close though. I mean, it seems weird. Five years. I guess the hardest part about five years is always just that it, I forget that I've been home for more than five years. I always feel mm. like I just came back from New York still yeah, for yeah. whatever reason. Uh, thanks for joining us again, folks. Uh, a couple quick announcements to start. Uh, Heather is not here today. Uh, uh-huh. First 2020 episode without Heather, I think. Hey, there you go. So it's, it's been a good run for Heather. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but she had some family stuff, and she, I must say, she did offer, as always, to come over. But she, she's like, I can come over after I put him to bed. I was like, you, you know yeah, I'm not okay. going to say, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say yes. I'm not waiting up all night for mm-hmm. that. I love you to death, but... Go take care of your family. It's fine. Uh, and also, uh, I need to shout out uh, Pete Connors, a.k.a. Pete Forgets, on the internet there, uh, for mentioning last week. Uh, I thought it was just something that I was hearing in my head, but apparently there were some weird audio issues last week with the other microphone. Hmm. I don't know anything about it. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't really notice it when I did the interview with uh, Andrew, um, mm. but when we put the intro together, I remember thinking, like, that sounds a little off. I wonder if it's just mastered wrong uh i think i figured out what the issue is um mm. and i am in the process of resolving it but for the day we are back to the old microphone because that one i understand the logistics of it better mm. and uh so we'll see if that gets fixed going forward i gotta sit down with justin um all right so a bit of an odd week this week uh we are Let's, let's just jump into talking about uh, the sad news of the week about Kobe Bryant. I feel okay. like that's the story that's on everyone's uh, minds right now at For this sure. moment. Um, if you guys, I'm sure you're aware because everyone's been covering it. Uh, Kobe Bryant, uh, age 41, along with nine other people, including his 13-year-old daughter, uh, passed away this weekend in a helicopter crash in Calabasas, California. This story happened in the middle of the day on Sunday by the yeah. time we heard it. Um, really... 
And what's funny to me about it was how much people were like, is this a prank? Like, people did not want to believe it. Yeah. Or were unwilling to believe it at first mm-hmm. uh, until the news started coming out. Um, I have a couple different points that I want to bring up, but, uh, you know, we've known each other for many years, and I always go back to saying that uh, a lot of our early friendship you know, was mm. spent, you know, watching basketball with our buddy Pat and, and watching the Lakers and watching Kobe Bryant was sure. one of the earlier memories I have of you and I becoming friends. I know you're a huge Lakers fan. Uh, so before I get any points, I'm sure you've had time to digest some of this stuff. What are your what are your thoughts? Uh, not as much as you need. I mean, honestly, it's, you know, I'm a huge Lakers fan, but I'm a huge, huge Lakers fan because of Kobe yeah. Bryant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what brought me to... The NBA, that's what brought me to the Lakers. That's been my favorite player since, you know, the very first games that he played. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's, it's genuinely, it feels silly to say it, but it's devastating. And like, as somebody who's, you know, I've lost all sorts of people in my life, Mm -hmm. all people close to me, family members. And this isn't that. It's not the same thing. But it, you know, I've got a pretty good perspective on, on, you know, life and loss and the grieving process. Um... It's just devastating. I mean, the guy was was so young and was just starting to blossom into this, like, life past basketball. And he always seemed so indestructible, you know, even in his time of playing. Like, it doesn't seem real, honestly. I've read 300 articles, 5,000 tweets in the last 24 hours. I've watched everything there is, and I will continue to. And it's still, when I look at it, it just doesn't seem like a real thing. Uh, This is probably the saddest thing that's ever happened in sports. You know, context for, I know not all of our listeners are... Are sports fans, yeah. um, and I know a lot of people aren't maybe NBA fans, mm-hmm. but like I can't, I genuinely can't think of anything that's happened in sports that's like sadder on a larger scale than this. Not in a long time. Like we talked about, or an ever time. Well, we talked about Roberto Clemente was one, I and suppose. then for my dad's generation, I know that Thurman Munson was a really big deal when Thurman Munson died in that plane crash. Yeah, it's still not the same though. He was the, the, the difference was he was actively playing when it happened. That was the one difference with Thurman. Like he, but I mean, this is like this. This is a worldwide thing. Yes, like there. I mean, all the buildings in in Thailand and the Philippines and China and mm-hmm. all these places have gone purple and gold. Like this is yeah. this is still bigger. Thurman Munson. Yankees hero, Yankees legend, Thurman Munson was never at the level that Kobe Bryant existed at. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... And his poor daughter, too. Like, I mean, I can't imagine that family... Yeah. You know, and how many times they've made that trip and, you know, getting in and spending all the time, you know, spending helicopters, you know, things just happen and it's just... It's devastating, man. It doesn't seem real and, um... You know, it's it's gonna stick. It's gonna stick with me. It's gonna stick with a lot of people. You know, I think you're starting to see just in the amount of people talking about it coming out. And, you know, you got different people like Doc Rivers, who's coach of the Clippers. He's like, man, you know, you really want to know about how this, how far this man's reach goes. The 20 year olds on my team yeah. that are devastated. You know, watching players just literally crying on the court trying to play games yesterday. What I've noticed, and I've seen a lot of people talking about it in podcasts and on Twitter as well, the respect that he had from other. Athletes, yeah. like, it, it's insane how many other athletes mm-hmm. were like, "No, you don't understand." Like what this guy, yeah, yeah. Did, like, his drive, that sort of desire for greatness that mm-hmm. he had. You know, we had that book floating around the house, that Mamba mentality book. He had a particular drive to succeed and be great and put in the work for it that you don't always see. With a, a work lot. ethic almost almost unmatched. Unmatched. You know what I mean? yeah. Like if you read about just in the 2008 Olympics when he went to play for Team USA and all these players, mm-hmm. these younger players who grew up idolizing him, you know. One of the first days, they showed up for an 8 a.m. team breakfast. They woke up, went to the 8 a.m. team breakfast, and he showed up dripping sweat because he'd been in the gym for three hours in what's basically an intramural thing in the offseason. Like, just so many stories um, about stuff like that. It's just, it's crazy, man. I can't believe it's a real thing, and it's, 
you know, Kobe Bryant's my favorite athlete. Always yeah. has been. You know what I mean? Like, it's just the only person even close is is Jeter. You know what yeah. I mean? But even still, Jeter plays a more team-oriented sport. He's yes. not quite as individualistic. You know what I mean? It's it's wild. Uh, you know, I, I said this story to you before we got in the air. You know, I basketball was an interesting thing for me growing up. My dad was a Knicks fan, so mm-hmm. my earliest memories of basketball were, like, watching the Knicks when he would watch it, you know, play the Heat, whatever, sure. that kind of thing. And then just the specter of Michael Jordan. The idea that this guy existed who was the best player of his generation and he was there and you liked him because you were a kid and he was a superstar and that was that. Mm-hmm. Kobe was the first star of our generation it felt like who really captivated people in a way that Jordan did. That one name, mm-hmm. Kobe. Just that one name is recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he did to like draw people back to basketball in that era. right? Like, at least draw, drew me back to basketball. Mm-hmm. And like you said, maybe really for the first time in my life. Because mm-hmm. anything before that was all peripheral. You're just a kid. Yeah, yeah you're just a kid. Um, I said to you earlier on, on text as well, I... I don't want to say that I'm surprised by how wide-reaching the the reaction is to it. Uh, I was surprised this morning that like kids in my school, my students who are not born when Kobe was playing mm-hmm. basketball his first few years, you know what I mean? Right. It was shocking how many of them were upset and so sad and like knew everything about him. And I mm-hmm. guess I'm underselling what YouTube and what the internet has done to, like, maintain the well, ability he, to He be- was the first player to really coincide with that internet era. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was a point I heard somebody else making today where they were like, you know, he sort of came into the league right as, like, people were getting email addresses and mm-hmm. a thing, and then, like, when YouTube launched, like, he was the first person in with all that. You know, you made that point earlier when you were talking about a lot of your kids weren't born when he started. Mm. They were certainly born. You forget he played for 20 years. Right. You know, 20 years for the same team. He only retired about four years ago, maybe five years ago. Yeah. You know, and so a lot of people saw a lot of that stuff. And him, you know, returning to the media. I mean, the guy won an Oscar, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. Returning to the media with his 13-year-old daughter and being at games and being like, no, nah, man, like I'm living mm-hmm. through my daughters and I'm coaching. And, you know, a lot of young athletes look at stuff like that, especially in this, you know, Instagram age. Like, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of people mm-hmm. were following that kind of stuff there. You know what I mean? Just the, the reverence he's talked about for all the players that play now, and even the super young guys like Devin Booker's and Trey Young's of the world. Yeah. Um, you know, these people, they just keep going back to that name, just Kobe. You know what I mean? Just this guy who's always around, like such an ambassador for the game and the sport. I mean, it's like it leaves a crater in, in the NBA and the culture. It really it's just it's wild. Uh, what's crazy, too, I, I, I've talked about this a lot in context, a lot uh, recently with politics, but I think it, it ties into lots of other things. This idea that there is, not everyone desires to be a better person as they grow older. Not everyone learns or wants to try to be a better person or, like, advance what their life's about. Like, you know, he was about basketball and then he was about giving back to, you know, his the sure. kids and other stuff. You don't see it all the time. Mm. And he sort of seemed to have this desire to, like, be a better person and a man as he got older and like well, paves the way for the young guys the one thing you always read about the guy from everybody who knows him is just that he was endlessly curious and always mm-hmm. wanted to learn from people like when he was making moves into the business world he would seek out every business leader that would talk to him to pick their brains never stop learning never stop working never stop trying to grow and to get better mm-hmm. and you know and then to get into it you know and it's such a such a singular mindset you know what i mean it's just you know that that's how you become the type of guy that people talk about the way that you know people are talking about him 
Uh, and, you know, you, you brought it up very briefly. Uh, I think the closest thing I could think of in terms of an athlete who resonated in a specific area, like he is Los Angeles's star. Like they, mm. he's, he's a global. He is Los Angeles. Yeah. Full stop. Um, I, the closest example you can make is, you know, we talked about baseball. Jeter, I guess, staying mm-hmm. with the Yankees his whole For career. Sure. He has that same sort sure. of feeling. Yeah. Uh, and I think it would be equally as shocking if, mm-hmm. Jer- if Derek Jeter passed away, God forbid, right? You sure. know, we're talking about young at age 41 does not mm-hmm. seem old enough it just... well that's the thing like everybody i mean we've all been anticipating you know as he's become sort of more open and you know softer as he gets to the retirement mm-hmm. and going through the kids this was the guy we expected to grow old with us and to be mm-hmm. analyzing games and offering tips to young players and you know talking trash and making wisecracks but just being around the game for the next 30 to 40 years you know what i mean like you expected to see this guy I mean, you expected to see him make his Hall of Fame speech when he gets inducted this year. Yeah. He's not going to make it to the speech for the mm-hmm. Hall of Fame induction. That's so weird. You know, you expected to see him and LeBron when they're 65 on some, like, ESPN Sunday conversation talking about back in the day. You know what I mean? Like, that's all the stuff. People anticipated being there, and all that's just gone. I wonder, you know, and it's interesting now Now that LeBron is on the Lakers, do you know what I mean? This weird sort of, like... Not this passing of the torch, necessarily, mm-hmm. that seemed to be happening, but, you know, a lot of guys in a different era, like the Jordans of the world... Did not want somebody coming up and like breaking their records and being better than them. There was a mm-hmm. certain amount of selfishness that existed mm-hmm. in like these elite athletes. Whereas Kobe seemed very at peace with like, let's go, young mm-hmm. blood, like let's do it, like we're ready to move on to the future. Last tweet he ever sent was congratulating yeah. LeBron James uh, the night before he passed. The last tweet mm-hmm. he ever sent out was congratulating LeBron for passing him for third place in all time scoring. Died the next morning. Jeez, you know. It's weird it's for just, LeBron. <laughs> probably, yeah. Um, I mean, it's just it really. Listen, you know, yeah. to, to put to put a bow on it, it really drives home the point that we've definitely talked about on this show before, and I definitely will say to anybody ad nauseum until they get sick of me. One of the things I repeat yeah. to everybody all the time, um, it really goes to underscore how fragile life is. Yes, and how you never ever know when your card's going to get pulled or when somebody else's card is going to get pulled, and that's why it's important to. You know, to reach out to the people you care about and, you know, do do what you can and try your best. And, like, the, because watch what uh, Jay Williams, who is a former player, he's an analyst uh, on ESPN now, and he's got a little, like, two-minute clip. You can find that on the internet. But basically, he goes through and he's on ESPN. He goes, you know, it just goes to show that, like, you're mad at somebody. You don't talk to somebody. You got some beef with somebody. You got some family member there's some strife with. There's some. That's all bullshit. Every mm-hmm. single little bit of it is bullshit. Just reach out to the people you care about because... Life is too short to have dumb problems with people that you care about, and you never know uh, when when life is going to be taken away from you. You know what I mean? This guy had ostensibly everything. His family, I mean, his poor wife and his yeah. three other daughters. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, this, you know, these people, like I said, had everything. This guy had a net worth of, what, $600 million? You know what I mean? And, like, only growing, but none of that matters today. So uh, that's the point, is that life is fragile and life is short, and you never know when. So you got to respect that and live understanding that factor, you know? Uh, and I don't mean to be glib by this at all. I am terrified of helicopters. I just, I, yeah. I think to myself all the time, like, dear God, like, I would never want to get in a helicopter. It seems so precarious. It seems mm. so, I don't know, like, the, the, it's like driving a motorcycle, right? At any given sure. time when you're on a motorcycle, there's like a half an inch of your tire actually hitting the ground. Like, any sure. little rock or, it just feels, I don't know, like, mm. I, and again, it's one of those things you probably do a lot more if you are, you know... If, as you do it more often, you don't think about it as being dangerous. But yeah. God, like I just man, helicopter, scary, mm-hmm. scary stuff to me. Uh, all right, I think that's I think that's fine. Um, let's let's go on to a couple other things before we go to break. 
Um, so, of course, Beth and Dave Coombs are back on. Uh, it's their third time on as a group. Beth, uh, Beth has been on four times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, you know, they've been on uh, late 98.7 for a couple years now, since they went mm-hmm. over from talk radio. Uh, and I don't think they have a lot of opportunity to talk about other stuff as much on the radio now, like mm. they, to voice their opinions. Sure. Uh, and it was funny how quickly we did sort of get into a broad political conversation. We didn't talk about impeachment. We didn't yeah. talk about any of that stuff. But, you know, they obviously had takes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have not talked at all about the impeachment trial. Not once since it's been going on. Right. Um, and for me, it's personally because I, I feel weird saying it. I've not paid attention at all to it because okay. cynically, I feel like I already know what's going to happen. Mm. Uh, I feel I don't feel positive about any actual change happening because of it. It feels like people are just going to double down with what they already believe and that's it and sure. going to vote across party lines. Have you been paying attention to any of the stuff that's been going on? Have you been following yeah, this? Yeah, every day. Every yeah. day. Every day. All am, days. Are my are my concerns overblown? Am I am I making a bigger deal out of this or No, not no, not really. I mean, um as somebody who, you know, who, who loves history and mm-hmm. politics and geopolitics and American history and all that stuff and like as somebody who tries to be, you know, a student of it, I think it's important to to never look away and to pay attention. Yeah. Um. I think I think it's a concerted effort to try to make people frustrated, tired, and stop paying attention. Yeah. Um. I think that's a very concerted effort yes. that people make because people are like ah oh, whatever this is dumb they're all the same I'm just not going to pay attention. You know that that just means people can do what they want without anybody mm-hmm. looking at them. Um. But I also like you know as far as it goes like you said we haven't talked about it at all. I think that's actually probably a decent call because with so many people talking about these things, you have to look at what can you add to all the noise out there. You know what I mean? I don't know what my take is going to add to all the noise that exists in the world on this thing. And that's why I've stayed away from it a little bit, honestly. Um, Well, because and we've we've talked about this off the air before about covering, you know, especially like getting out and all this wild political stuff that happens all the time. Um, We always talk about whether we can do it justice. And if we can't do the conversation justice, we skip over it sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're like, well, this thing is bigger than a five-minute soundbite mm-hmm. stop and chat, so let's just, you know what I mean? So I understand that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as it goes, it's 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 wild. Yeah, the wild Bolton, times out there. I have been reading the Bolton stuff today, which I mean, we won't get into mm-hmm. it. That seems that that's piqued my interest a little bit over the last few days. Yeah. Uh, there was another politics story though we can talk about in the Democrat side if you sure. And I, have you seen this controversy that's going on with Joe Rogan endorsing Bernie Sanders and everyone getting mad about it? Yeah, it's it? a non-factor. That's just that's children on Twitter. That's not a real thing. <laughs> okay, because yeah. I read a bunch. I, of- when did we start? Everybody does this all the time. We give so much weight to idiots on Twitter, like like they're the the voice of the oracle from no, on Olympus High, <laughs> and it's like yes, eighteen year olds on Twitter are misinformed and have bad takes. It's funny, too, because what I think you're getting at is, like, the people on social media, mm-hmm. whether it's Facebook or Instagram or social media, whatever, Twitter generally feels like it's heavier in that because of the short nature of it. Yeah. Um, this does not represent a very large section of the population. Sure. Like, I don't think it really represents a huge portion of the population, more of a population that's really invested in social media. Well, right? sure. And it's also, it's like a ginned-up controversy because, like... Everybody's talking about, just see all these people who say this endorsement is bad? Well, just see all the people who said it was good? No, you're not talking about them. You're just trying to stir up some shit. That's dumb. I, I thought it was odd. Like, it's not like Bernie Sanders asked him necessarily for an endorsement. At this all. guy gave an endorsement on his own merit on yeah. his show. Like, it wasn't like Bernie called him. Yeah, no, that's the thing. People are trying to make this like this is some sort of, like, bad, like, mm. bad mark against Bernie. It's just not. That's just such a reach, you know what I mean? Like... 
I'll be the first one to tell you. Like, you know, I like I've listened to a lot of Joe Rogan, depending who he's got as guest, you yeah, know, is I'm I think he's that, got man. an interesting podcast. Um, he's for sure three thousand percent not as smart as his hardest core fans think he is. That is correct. Um, he is very much an empty vessel in a lot of the ways that whoever he's talking to, he mm-hmm. kind of agrees with. Yep. And he's dude, like I know that guy. That guy who's like, you know, literally stoned all the time and generally good natured and is like, oh, I want to be left alone, but like, oh, that sounds like a good point. I'm into that. And mm-hmm. then a guy the next day makes the opposite point. He's like, geez, man, that's a good point and goes with it. That's all fine and good. You know, he provides a platform. I'm not an undying fan, but I don't think he's, like, the devil either. You know what I mean? I sit nice middle of the road. But I think that it's it's ignorant to pretend that he doesn't command a huge voice with a certain subset yeah. of people who will be reached and probably be favorable to a Bernie Sanders message who have been getting basically lied to about what, you know, Democrats want. People who are lied to about what, like, socialism is or people who are are lied right. to and they think they know about these things, these are people that you've got to reach and pull back um, into some sanity. And those people have to be reached. So if this guy goes and says that, that's a good thing. You know, the whole point of coalition building is we have to reach out to more than just, like, you know, the loudest voices on Twitter. Yes. And more than just, you know, 18-year-old, you know, freshmen who just took their first sociology class. Yeah. We've got to reach more people. So, yeah, if somebody with a huge voice like that is like, yeah, I think I'm going to vote yeah. for this guy... That, how, I don't understand how that could be construed yeah. as like a bad thing or a black mark no. against Bernie or whoever. And I think, you know, it also speaks Dumb. to... fake story. <laughs> Very sad. It's, uh, it speaks a lot to... I think people don't realize what kind of audience Joe Rogan actually pulls. He is no. the number one or two it's biggest podcast in America, mm-hmm. in the world, all the time. Well, same. It's the, it, you, you hear a lot of this, um, you know, from, from all sides, but you hear a lot of this from our, our friends on the left where, like, People are overly smug or reductive about a lot of people's audience. Like, oh, it's just like bros. It's just like, bro, what does that even mean? Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the same thing as when anybody says something about, like, you know, oh, they're just a bunch of liberals. It's the same dumb, reductive shit. Nobody should do anything. They think, oh, his audience is just bros. Mm. And they like UFC, so I know everything about every single one of them. You're dumb. That's just a dumb, lazy take. You know how mm. much I hate lazy takes. We talk oh, yeah. about that all the time. Like, if you're going to have a take I disagree with, that's fine, but it better be intellectually rigorous or else do not bring that weak shit in here because mm-hmm. we will spot you. And you uh, the Dikembe finger. <laughs> no, 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 Dikembe finger. All right, uh, let's go to this week's interview. We did about, it's about 20 minutes. It's good stuff for now. We don't need to dig any farther. Mm. Um, all right, so this week, again, we had a great conversation. I, I love talking to Beth Always and Dave. a good talk. Oh, so much fun talking to Beth talk. and Dave. Great, you know... I feel bad. Two weeks in a row, I've reached out to people who are on the radio. I didn't mm. mean for it to be that way. Funny how it works sometimes. It was, yeah, it's just it's just the scheduling and when I could get people in. But sure, I'll tell you what it's it's a nice it's bonus nice to get. It's nice to get people who know the game. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to get people who nice. know the game. People who you can sort of volley with uh, and parlay with in a conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not naive to the fact that sometimes when I listen, to, I, I know when I can when an interview that I'm doing is good or bad. A lot of times it's on my context. Like I can tell if I've sure. gone through all my notes, if I've you know gotten to the end and I haven't. You know, I'll, I'll put it this way. By the time we got to the end of this interview, there were multiple things that I had written down with Beth and Dave that we did not get to just because we got caught up talking. And that mm-hmm. doesn't always happen. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I have to put in more notes than always. But with guys like Beth and Dave... Well, that's exactly... I heard somebody say on uh, an interviewer that you know I really like and like to listen to. It was basically saying, was like, I know I've done a good interview. The less I talk, the better the interview went. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. The less I've got to be the talker and the driver, mm-hmm. the better I know that interview was. So I know what you mean. Nice to get folks on that know how to play the game. So great time talking with uh, Beth and Dave. You can catch them every day, uh, Monday through Friday, on Light 98.7 FM in the morning. W-L-Z-W. Uh, I asked them if they knew Delilah. They told me they didn't. 
So I don't think that's a thing. I think that's like a syndicated program. It is. It is. All right, here's Beth and Dave. We're back. Shattered dreams. Wait, is this microphone on? Yeah, nope. <laughs> and not it's not a it's not a tough task to get us to talk more because in our current format, in an adult contemporary show, we play usually an average of nine songs an hour. Mm. And you, you add the commercials in. Mm-hmm. The breaks that we get to actually talk and use our personalities usually a minute and a half to two minutes at a time. So yeah. this oh, Steve is a, routinely puts down my microphone. <laughs> this is a luxury. So, <laughs> well, at I'm, any length. Well, I'm happy to have you guys That's here, as said. always. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at any length. Uh, of course, this is uh, Beth and Dave Coombs. Uh, you may know them from 98.7 Light FM. 5.30 in the morning, you guys are on now? Uh, we, the show starts at 6. Oh, no. show starts at 5.30? Well, six? It, it's sort of a soft open at 5.30. <laughs> and we play some, we set, we play some like, fun material oh. that we've gathered over the week. Yeah, I'm there by like 4. That. Like, a little bit before 4. But four. Uh, the show starts at 6, 6 to 10. So, so let me actually since you're sort of getting to that point I'm, I'm sort of curious you know I over the last you know few months I've struggled a lot and I've talked to Kevin about this and Heather on the show as well because of all the student teaching I've been doing and the extra mm-hmm. the way 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 larger uh, amount of work that I'm doing than I expected to do mm-hmm. I've struggled to find time during my day and during the week to come up with content yeah. um, for with you guys, do you feel like where do you feel like you go to look for content? Are you guys looking at like news sources? Are you like looking um, on the internet? Are you like reading on social media? Like yes, where yeah, all, all of, of anywhere? Yeah. Any, anywhere. Anything. It's really. I mean, our audience is like, uh, you know, like everybody has like an audience avatar, right? Mm, so sure. ours is like a you know, 38, 40 year old mom probably with kids. So mm. anywhere she is, I mean, a lot of it comes from my friends on Facebook or our own lives or. Um, something we read that we saw that we were like, what the huh? Mm. And um, we like, just talk about, like, you know, it's yeah. anything, really. We watched a, um, a documentary a couple nights ago. The, the series is called Explained, and this one was on about... Oh, uh, Vox Explains? Or the Vox uh, Net- ones? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this, was, Netflix, this yeah. was about the, the pandemic that might come someday. Oh, yeah. And I just chose it at random. I said, yes. huh, that looks interesting. And, of course... <laughs> Now look what's happening in China. Yeah, the coronavirus. It's like SARS. Like we just watched. I was actually talking to Andrew Dermini. I'm like, Andrew, why are you guys not talking about the coronavirus more than you should be? He's like, What are you talking about? It's a big deal. I'm sending him the link to the thing to make him watch it. But anything is really like if we're all gonna die. Just as a sidebar, I'm pretty sure it's gonna happen from China. Like I'm, I'm pretty calm, because I just read now. I don't get out much. I just read now that they think that the virus, the coronavirus, started two venomous snakes that people in China eat. And that's exactly what was on this documentary about how, like, other viruses started when, like, a a human 
ate a, like a pig ate a cat and a cat ate a human ate the pig and like how the two things come together it's like eating something that you're not supposed to and then the virus gets in there and it, I mean it's crazy well, we were just doing uh, my birthday was a couple weeks ago we did like a Happy birthday. thank you I'm so old uh, we did this Shut up. history lesson session where I did just all history lessons from 1986 the year I was born mm-hmm. and one of the things they were talking about was mad cow and yes. I was like I forgot that was a thing but then I was reading about mad cow and it's like wow this is horrifying yeah I mean that documentary was Scary. And mind you, I have a tattoo on my arm of the Stephen King novel The Stand, which is a novel about a super flu that wipes out 99.7% of the population. So I I am, that's the one thing of all the like apocalypse scenarios that I've heard people talk about, whether it's, you know, nuclear war or, Mm -hmm. you know, class warfare, whatever it is. The virus one scares me. That one feels like that's yeah, a real problem. Sure. <laughs> and I will tell you, I took a microbiology class. If you ever want to be deeply disturbed, mm. like read about viruses and how they work and how, like I was just, because I was talking, I get like into things. I was telling Dave today, I'm like, there's this article in the New York Times. Here's exactly what I was trying to say. Our bodies right now contain DNA from viruses that are millions of years old. Mm. It's like, God. it's from something that somebody <laughs> ate that it was, I mean, it's crazy. And we don't, we don't even know what's being harbored in our genome mm. because most of them are retroviruses and we don't know what's going to trigger them. And mm. like, I mean, it's really fascinating. It's a, <laughs> microbiology is a very disturbing class. When I can't you really wait, think about it. I can't yeah. wait to write the bumper for this episode. It's going to be like deadly microvirus. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you also, you started by asking us where we find content, and that was you know it could come from watching a documentary. Mm. It could come just because the Super Bowl is coming up in a little while. You know, we could talk about the ads on the mm. Super Bowl. We could talk. There was an interesting mm. factoid we came across about how the best coffee now scientifically they've discovered that the best coffee is made with coarser grounds not finer grounds of coffee oh i see which who knew sure. talk about, so we talked about that because we figured well most of our audience is probably having a cup of coffee right now when they're listening to us getting ready for school yeah. or work or whatever they're doing so i mean we have various you know local topics national topics what we call evergreen topics there yeah. are things that everyone could relate to that we might experience at the grocery store or whatever so have you guys use uh, this is a term i've heard used around uh a peg for a story like if uh, I'm always looking for pegs for something so mm-hmm. if we're if there's like a new Tom Hanks movie out mm-hmm. right that's my peg to do like hey let's talk about every movie Tom Hanks has ever done and rate them like it's sort of the lead in that's what I feel like I'm doing all the time yeah, yeah. when I find a story and then can I take that one level deeper into a larger conversation. It's a good way to look at yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we sort of do that by like we'll start with an idea like, and it could be something really stupid like one time I and this is a true story I was in the because I get up so early, I was in the bathroom at work and I went to go put hairspray on my hair and I Febrezed it instead. <laughs> and there was like that split second when I realized that what was in my hand didn't feel like hairspray, but mm-hmm. I w- had already started spraying. And like from there, you you take it in as many, it's almost like mind mapping it, but like not on paper. Mm. Like what could you do? Uh, things things that you've done that embarrass yourself. Well, what's the most embarrassing thing you did at work? M- mistakes that you got in trouble for at work. The dumbest thing you've ever used mm. that wasn't intended for its purpose. What do you use that no one would think of for that? You know, like I was so sleepy one time. I, I, bl- blank. I blank. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like so. Like there's so many. Like you just. I try and like sometimes I'll like double dog dare myself to like take a a thing that happened and try and come up with ten possible things off of that. Right. Which is, I, Same I sort of idea. don't well, get out much. That's the problem. I talked about this with Andrew last week, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'll get to that in a second. But, you know, Andrew does, you know, he's doing the talk still with, you know, he's doing yeah. Q-ish mm-hmm. stuff. I've tried over the last, I know, especially after, the, you know, 2016 for those first, like, year, that first, like, year, 18 months, I felt like the show was going down a, 
a route where every week I felt like I needed to cover politics stuff. I needed to cover like Trump stuff. Mm -hmm. And my opinions haven't changed about how I feel. But in terms of content for the listeners, I've really tried to steer almost solely away from it now. We avoid it 100%. Yeah, Yeah, like I I get jokes from the late night comedians every day and I choose maybe two or three that are really good that we can air. Hey, in case you missed it last night, here was was Corden, here was Fallon, here was Kimmel. I avoid the political jokes. Even if they're really funny, I'm like, nope. We're gonna. I'm gonna get jokes that are about something else, and we're gonna play those. Well, I just read. I just read this article last week. It was about uh, Henry Clay and John Boehner. It was mm-hmm. about uh, you know Henry Clay was this. He was uh, he was known as the Great Compromiser, and mm-hmm. his whole thing was like you know the key when you go to one of these Senate or Congress hearings is we want to come out with some result. That was mm-hmm. the idea, and then you fast forward to you know 2006, 2008. John Boehner's like compromise is a dirty word, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that that sort of mentality has also worked its way into people on social media talking about it. I can't even go on Facebook. Anymore. I know. I, I agree. I really, it's, it's, it's so divisive. It's 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 nasty. I don't like, and I don't like in either direction. And that's the, the, Beth. Beth is a Democrat. One of my best friends is a staunch Republican. Yeah. I don't like either of them when they get extreme. Honestly, no, I mean, extreme. like, <laughs> <laughs> no. But that's a, it's a great point though because I I have people people who are close friends of mine mm-hmm. who have views that they'll put on Facebook that I ostensibly agree with mm-hmm. and I'm still like nah yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. want nothing I to do with it anymore you know mm-hmm. what there, sometimes there are things like I I try really hard not to put opinions on Facebook so if there's like a document or like a story mm. usually it's like a fact checky kind of thing that I'll share but I'll share it without comment and even that people go bananas yeah yeah like, innocent yeah yeah mm-hmm. like you're like I, I didn't i don't you know in there are there are situations that i think like no matter what you're like for my point of view like are untenable like i i can't i can't turn a blind eye to something that's like discriminatory i mm-hmm. can't turn a blind eye to right so, something that's like so egregious um but like there will be times when you know it'll be some i posted something about the economy it was about the stock market and sure. literally it plotted like like five presidents, like Bush, Bush, Obama, Clinton, and Trump. Yeah. And it was like where the market started mm-hmm. and then where it was for everybody. Like just like literally the volume of stocks trading. Yeah. And they were all very similar. And like even <laughs> like Obama's like, you know, plummets in 2008 and how it crept back. But but Trump's market wasn't any like anything exceptional. Like people are always like, oh my God, it's trading over like 26,000. It's so incredible. Every market grows. Like, that's what happens. It doesn't stay at one number, and then all of a sudden it went up. And I didn't even post it with yeah. comment. I just posted. And people, I don't get, like, I can't even engage in the, like, the numbers can be dissuade to say anything. I'm like, these are numbers plotted <laughs> on a graph, on a y-axis and an x-axis. There's no percentage. It's like raw data. What well, don't you like? I always go back to that one Simpsons quote with Homer. He's like, Pfft. Facts. You can prove that. You can use facts to prove anything that's even remotely right. Like, it's yeah. just sort of a, like, I, people only, it, I've noticed it a lot with this baseball scandal that's been going on. Like, yeah. the, the sign stealing in baseball, yeah. right? Um, people are either on one side or the other of this argument to first hand. It's not that big a deal. There's been cheating going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Or, this is... Which is, like, the worst argument ever. <laughs> well, that's, but that's the point I'm getting at. Like, on the other side of it, it's like, people are like, this is beyond the pale. Like, this is more cheating than ever. Mm-hmm. And if you're on one of these two sides... There's no article that you will read will sway you over because you're only going to look for the articles that validate mm-hmm. your initial opinion, right? Mm-hmm. And that's again, it's confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Yes. That's a big, scary part of it. So, Mike, Mike, what I gather from chatting you guys up here for the first ten minutes is, 
you feel good not having to do as much of this commentary anymore? Has it been nice? Yeah. Yeah. There, yeah. Are, yeah. there are days when there's something going on in politics, I'll get up in the morning and I'll go, you know what today is? One of those days where I am so happy I don't do talk anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I just like, I like funny. I don't care what it's about. I just, I like stuff that makes me laugh or it's, it's, it's amusing. It's funny because the late night comedians have taken stances. I know Fallon, they made fun of him initially because he sort of befriended Trump in an episode. Yeah, where yeah. He, they he made fun of the hair and stuff like that. Well, now Fallon is all against Trump and Kimmel's all against Trump and they all make jokes against the president. My point is, you should make jokes about any president. He's the most famous person or she, if it happens to be. But I would joke about Hillary Clinton or Trump or Obama pretty, or Clinton. Pretty sure Hillary I'm a big, Clinton got joked about. Right? I'm a big no. SNL guy. I love yeah. SNL, but... You know, for a while, they were doing, it was like, we're pumping out Alec Baldwin here every week to mm -hmm. do Trump stuff. And oh there was diminishing. He's good, but I feel like it's okay. me, the, the <laughs> results were diminishing. I get more laughs now when SNL decides they're going to skewer the Democrats because, like, I like them doing Bernie and I like them doing <laughs> Warren and stuff. Uh, and I looked at, actually, speaking of which, I just watched the new episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm this week. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if you guys watch Curb at all. I love it. I love it. I haven't seen it recently, but. Um, the, the new episode, the season debuted last Sunday, mm -hmm. and they did a whole bit about um, him. Using the MAGA hat as a people repeller, not because he had any. He's like, if I put it on, no one will want to come to lunch with me. No one will want to hassle me, so I can just be like peaceful. And I was like, that's better satire about our current political state than anything mm -hmm. I've seen on any of these shows. And it's so mm -hmm. weird that it's like it just. It's, I hope we're getting to a better place. That's yeah. my hope. Not maybe a more moderate place, but just a place where we can have nuance again. That's I been my. I don't think we're anywhere near getting close. I feel like no. we're further away from well, the impeachment hearing. I don't think that anyone of this Democrats that could potentially come out against Trump is going to make uh, make it any better. It's still going to be... It seem that way. No, it's, <laughs> if it's going to be Bernie or Warren, people are going to get super progressive on mm -hmm. one side. Yeah. Progressives are mad if it's Buttigieg or Biden. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not a huge Biden <laughs> personally. Not, you know but, what? Yeah. I... I, even though she has done some annoying things, and like, I, you know the other thing that annoys me about any politician mm. is like, Everybody's got to be perfect. Like, well, you remember back in 1922, yes. mm -hmm. he once spit his gum out on the sidewalk, so <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure about... Like, honestly, there's somebody tweeted. It said, Democrats could nominate a pile of crap as their candidate for 2020, and I would wear a t-shirt that said, pile of crap 2020, and <laughs> yeah. canvas my neighborhood for votes. And that's, that's a little bit how I feel right now. Yeah. Like, I kind of feel like I don't care. You, I don't care who you nominate. Just give me somebody. I'll vote for them. I yeah, I'm with you on that because I talked I to my. It, it's funny. I've said that a couple times. Like I, for whatever reason, my family thinks I'm a Bernie guy. They've mm -hmm. they've they've labeled me it's that. The I, look, it's the cardigan. I'm say it's the cardigan. <laughs> it's the curmudgeon y bearded cardigan look. Be. Yeah, uh, but it, whatever. It's fine. Like I've never told them. You know who yeah. I'm voting for because I I kind of not totally decided mm -hmm. yet. But sure. Uh, but it's funny because I was talking to my it was my. My stepdad, who is a basically a converted Republican, he used to be a Republican, and over the last like ten years, he's sort of gone toward the Democrat side. Mm -hmm. My brother-in-law, who's an open Democrat, is a little bit older than me, and then myself, who's you know mm -hmm. liberal Democrat, whatever. And we had this huge argument about like because my my stepdad basically I'm, I'm calling him out for this. He's gonna get mad if he listens to it. He's like. I'm not voting for Bernie. And he's like, I like my healthcare plan. I'm like, then you don't care about this all as much as you pretend you do. Like, you sit home and you watch CNN all day and you, like, stamp your feet about <laughs> all this Trump stuff, but, like, you're not going to vote for a certain candidate because that's more important. Your healthcare is more important than anything. So that, <laughs> he got mad at us for saying that, but I was like, I mean, that's the reality See, of it. But I would say this, not to get into, like, specifics of the plan, like, anybody who thinks that, listen, 
we should have healthcare for everybody, mm. a baseline of healthcare for everybody. And I can tell you right now that the money that you would save on either side yeah. would more than, like I know how much, like for example, I'm on a school board. I know how much our school district pays mm. for our health insurance and it's a lot. Well, I just got off my health insurance because I left yeah. Utica College doing that job. I'm student mm-hmm. teaching now, so I don't have a job under the umbrella of working for Utica College. Mm-hmm. Utica College's insurance was actually quite nice. I had a really yeah. nice insurance package. But then I had to go out into the world like two weeks before the thing was up and look for an insurance plan. Uh, and mind you, I don't make any money right now, so it was relatively easy to get on like Medicaid or whatever, which is super yeah. cheap. But mm-hmm. if I was making any amount of money... Like, the, the lowest cost insurance for somebody is still wildly expensive. It's yeah. insane. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't believe how much it costs. Well, and that's the thing. Like, every, I don't think people realize, like, what percentage of their tax dollar or their, or their, their wages or whatever, go, in some way, you're, you're paying for health care already. Like, if you're paying taxes to a school district, if you're, you're paying for health care. Yeah. If you're, pay, if you're paying taxes to the federal government, you are paying for health care. Mm. If you are, you're paying for healthcare. Yeah. So what's the, I mean, and we're paying for it, we're paying for the uninsured too, on every level. Mm. So, I mean, it just seems, I don't know. Well, people didn't understand sometimes the idea of how insurance works. Like for insurance to be affordable and to yes. be, you know, available for everybody, you have to have this large pool, pool. of healthy insured people. So what my senior thesis was on. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Yeah, my senior thesis was on Nicaragua and the uh, and the Sandinistas. So there you go. That's I was an economics major. It was about it was about de- like a diagnostic related groupings and how you can use single payer like to to manage costs for this was specifically like end stage renal disease. Yeah. But a whole, the whole concept is if you're a single payer, you can draw you can manage healthcare costs because mm. you're the only person going to pay it. So you could be like be more efficient. Were you just saying that your your daughter was getting into history? Yes. Mm. Are you pleased about this? She can do whatever she wants. I think <laughs> teaching is a great profession. So she's wanted to be a teacher since she was like three. It's so. it's an interesting thing. I you know I for the first time in my life it's I'm doing the student teaching and it's Regents Week mm-hmm. over at the school. So I'm sitting in the history department where you know recording. It's I've never been behind the scenes in education before anywhere mm-hmm. in my life. Like I have a teacher's edition of a book over here, which when I was in high school Ooh, would have been like, oh my god, I have all the answers, right? <laughs> um, but it's so funny. You know, Justin and I talked about this more than being a math teacher, more than being a science teacher, more than being an English teacher. Being a history teacher today is a very fraught concept mm-hmm. in terms of how you're going to talk about the sure. world at large around you. Mm-hmm. and Because we don't really know what we're looking at anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the weird things they've gone to in history now is the idea of enduring issues. I don't know if she's talked to you about this. This is the new thing for history. She's only a sophomore, so probably not. Well, they're, they're, you'll, <laughs> she's learning history. She's not te- like doing the uh, teaching Well, course. this is the new thing that they're doing in history now. So the idea is to teach history. You're teaching broad recurring issues, mm-hmm. right? If you, you're talking about like the easiest example is conflict. Conflict mm-hmm. is a recurring issue at every Every stage of history that you teach, global history, American history, and how can you tie things back to certain Mm -hmm. enduring issues, Uh, conflict, innovation, um, you know, climate, uh, nature, like there's a lot of different things that come up all the time, uh, and that seems to be the way we're going now, to get away from like pointed discussions about certain things, because you really, you really can't tell your, my best teachers were teachers who I did not know their point of view about politics, yeah. in terms of like who made you just sort of think, I don't know what this person thinks. They, yeah. they yeah. want to make you discuss it. That's good. And I can't think of a single professor I had in college or in high school that I had any clue what, with the exception of my 
teacher from my liberation theology teacher. <laughs> liberation theology. Who was like a reformed, like a like a she resigned from being a nun. Wow. Yeah, it was like a really great class. <laughs> I, I took a theology class in college too. It was called Melville, Einstein, and Baseball. Ooh. And we read portions of Ted Williams's The Art of Hitting, the Bible, and Moby Dick as part of the curriculum. Really? Class. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a religion course. And by the way, speaking about your um, your final papers, I wrote my um, paper about the history of the college's football program. So <laughs> it's I amazing. can't compete with what you guys did. <laughs> it's funny. I was actually just talking about that with one of the teachers today. I said, you know, I took. When you get to college as a history professor or mm-hmm. history major, that's really the first time you start getting into specialties. Mm-hmm. I didn't do any Russian Revolution stuff outside of global history until I got to college. And then it's like we did a whole session on Imperial Russian history. Mm-hmm. Did this whole session on 20th century Latin American revolutions. And that was the one. I was like, this is this is right in my wheelhouse. I love this. Mm-hmm. I wrote this huge thesis about it, like a 40-page paper about the Sandinistas and how the earthquake that happened like helped bring down the bourgeoisie <laughs> and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I never talk about it. We don't. Yeah. We don't talk about Nicaragua yeah. once anywhere in high school. I'm like, well, this is a waste. I didn't do anything. I should have like picked like World War Two because that seems to be all we talk about. That's funny because my daughter is just getting into those that like realm of classes that where she can start to pick, and she's beside herself with excitement. She's like, oh my god, mom, there is a whole class just on World War Two, and then it's like like a subset of it. It's like World War Two and like gender identity or whatever. Yeah, she's like. It's amazing. I don't even know what to take. I don't think I can take them all. She's like so excited. She's in a perfect line of work coming yeah. up. She's she's really built for yeah. it. Well, so. teaching mm-hmm. teaching definitely is on the up again because mm-hmm. I've talked about this with mm-hmm. a lot of my professors, a lot of counselors over the last few years. There was a time over the last ten years, I, my parents were both teachers, and when mm-hmm. I talked to mm-hmm. them about going into teaching, they were both they didn't say no. They didn't tell <laughs> me not to, but they were like. Mm, you know, there's other things you could do besides <laughs> teaching. And I think for a long time, people did not want to get into it. For mm-hmm. the last 10 years, it's expensive. There's a lot of schoolwork. You end up relative, not like in debt the way a doctor is in debt or anything, mm-hmm. but unless you have some sort of, you know, assistance program like I had where I was working for a program that helped pay for part of my college, it's not cheap. Mm-hmm. And your payoffs as a teacher happen later in your career. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't get through those first couple of years yeah. because they're not ready for it. Yeah. It's a gamble. Yeah. And because of that, over the last five years, there is a massive, like, there's a big gap. Yeah, there's sure not much. teachers to hire. Mm-hmm. And I walk into Proctor every day, and the first announcement I hear is, any teachers who have a planning period, periods two, three, four, seven, eight, and nine, please call. We need teachers for other, like, classrooms. It's it's a problem. There's, and, a, uh, there's a dearth of radio personalities now. I mean, there's no farm system anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom was, for years, upset that I was still in radio. And this was as recently as 10 years ago. Still I mean, you know, I've been... <laughs> that's interesting. Like, but it's, you know, I love it. I love what I do. But, the, but because of consolidation... And because of syndication, um, there aren't many jobs left anymore in radio. You know, so well, we didn't uh, we didn't even get into it last week, me and Andrew. But he had talked about it before we started the interview. He was really upset about the whole iHeartRadio yeah. thing. Like, mm-hmm. He was really upset mm-hmm. uh, yep. in terms of what that means for like the the platforms going forward. Sure. Mm-hmm. Do you, is do you think it's because? Uh, of like the way the world works now, the sort of digital aspect of it, like as opposed to like people terrestrially listening to the radio, or do you think it's just an access point? Like, why do you think there is this sort of gap in terms of like no farm teams for people coming up? Well, I think part of it is the salaries usually aren't very competitive in radio, right. yeah. unless you. I mean, there's a huge gap between the Howard Stearns and the Rush Limbaughs of the world, mm-hmm. and most of the rest of us, frankly. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and we're probably higher paid than 
the people that are on the lower right, levels. Right. So well, he there, is. <laughs> so there's not much incentive anymore. Um, and plus, I think for most most radio jobs aren't creative. Now we get to be very creative in our job in our mm-hmm. position, but most most don't. And I think. For the creative people, they, they have other avenues now. Like you said, there's digital, there's podcasting. There's you know they can make their own way. Um, they don't need a corporate radio job necessarily. You know, I think it's also too just every. I think it's like every industry is just consolidating, like the yeah. crap. I mean, like every talk to a teacher, talk to whomever. They used to do one job. Now they're doing like. Seven jobs. Well, like, I, same thing holds I, in radio. Sure. I, think. I mean, I feel bad in a way. I'm, I mean, I host the morning show with Beth on Light 98.7. I also host Middays on, on WOUR. Yeah. Mm. So in essence, I, I guess I'm taking a job away from somebody. <laughs> no, I feel, I understand what you mean, Celia. And I think it's an interesting thing for me. I grew up in a certain era mm-hmm. um, where that voice on the radio, whether, you know, and I always laugh nowadays because it's like guys I'm friends with, like the Genesee Joes of the world yep. and mm-hmm. the, the Chris, oh, sorry, Rain Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, those guys. Yeah. yeah. That they were gatekeepers, and when you're a certain age, when you're coming up, when the radio was what you had for mm-hmm. content. This is the pre-internet days. Like sure. I, I used to call the radio station and talk to these yep. guys and beg for them to play yeah. a song. Mm-hmm. And when they would play it, I would feel like I was part of the zeitgeist, right? Like you felt mm-hmm. like you were part of something. Even when I was listening to Yankee games, like John Sterling and and, and uh, what's was his name, uh, Charlie Steiner. Yeah, listening to those guys, like just the the magic of listening to the content and the way they talked was very captivating. Yep. And mm-hmm. I wonder if this generation doesn't get that from, they get it from TikTok. They get it from Instagram. They get it from Well, they whatever. don't engage. I think a lot of people don't know how to engage because mm. they they, are, they don't do face-to-face meetings anymore. No, they right. email each other all the time. And I think face-to-face is important. It's funny you talk about the phones. I love still picking up, it's one of the favorite things on my job is picking up the phone while we're on the air or, you know, during commercials or a song or whatever and talking to the listeners. I I take pride in it. I love it. The consultants always say, yeah, don't let the phones ring. And I still love talking to somebody on the phone and getting their opinion and listening to what they they like or whatever. Why is it they don't want people calling in? Is there just like a, a... is it like a you can't control it necessarily what you're gonna get or like you mean live you mean, yeah live like is that oh, oh yeah no. oh you have to the, the first rule of any radio business or a company or individual is protect the FCC license and right. you can't protect the FCC license you can't depend on others to, to to be responsible enough to do that for you so yeah you have to tape phone calls well, I I have a buddy of mine his name is Kid Chris who does mornings in Cincinnati mm-hmm. he's very controversial and you know they have what's called a dump button in in radio where yeah, yeah. you you can take live calls, but it's on an eight-second delay. He has three delays. He has an eight-second delay, a 35-second delay, and a minute-and-a-half delay. So that if something controversial is happening, he can roll with it, roll with it. But all the while be thinking, geez, do I want to protect the license? Is this too dangerous? So he can go, he's can. he got fail-safe systems where he can press one button or wait a little while and press another button or wait till a minute and a half and press his final button and dump everything out. And his decision is crucial to maintaining the company's license. You know, and I've seen a lot of people talk about, you know, mm-hmm. podcasting has sort of become this thing that people want to do. But there's also... There's been an issue for years with mm-hmm. how to actually monetize these podcasts. Mm-hmm. Right? The only the only company I can think of right now that does really good monetization work, and there's probably more I'm thinking of. I listen to uh, Bill Simmons got a company called The Ringer, mm-hmm. yep. and they put out all these podcasts, and they're I bet some of them are making like 15 million dollars a year on it because wow. they're, it's all the ad reads. You're doing tons and tons of ad reads, mm-hmm. but Spotify is in talks to buy them mm-hmm. uh, because they want to supplant their podcasting system, right? Mm-hmm. 
I don't think that, that for guys like myself and like independent podcasts, I think we're also getting to a point where, first off, everyone I know had a podcast for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then it all kind of, you know, unless you're an insane person like myself who feels like this, you have to do this every <laughs> yeah, week. Yeah, right. It's really easy to get discouraged and just stop wanting to do it if you're imagine. not making any money. Sure. Um, so I wonder if we're also on the end of like a podcasting bubble that's I think about so. to burst. I think that's coming I think so. too. Yeah. I think so. And I, oh, I think that I was just going to say, I think one of the interesting things you had to say about your podcast and also I think it, it's germane sort of to what makes radio successful is... I think it's easier for you to monetize your hyper local yes. podcast with a hyper local business. Like you know who you're reading. Like if I'm if I'm a, I own a burger place yeah. and I'm list, and I'm advertising on like you know making of a murder or whatever the hell that right. podcast is called. I don't know if the person I want to reach is there. But if I'm in Utica and I have a business, why wouldn't I put it on your podcast? Well, there, it was a conscious decision because for a long time I wanted to do. Some sort of. I love talking soccer. I love talking professional wrestling. There's a lot of stuff I like. The mm-hmm. problem is, me and Justin sitting around talking about soccer is very low on someone else's priority because there's a ton of national soccer podcasts by real big sports mm-hmm. companies. So sure. unless you're doing something that's specifically local or niche or really creative, mm-hmm. super niche, you're yelling into the void, right? Yeah. It's just whatever. Like mm-hmm. even my friend Malik, who does a podcast around here um, against the algorithm, he's like a music podcast. Mm-hmm. He does really cool stuff. He brings in local bands and interviews them. But how many music podcasts are there? His competition level is so vast. Mm-hmm. There's so many podcasts yeah. that yeah. do that. He has to either be particularly engaging and creative mm-hmm. or be specifically hyper-local with who he's reaching out to. There's so yeah. much content everywhere these days. I, we talk about this all the time with TV. Where we, go, we, we, just, we watch, we'll go open up Netflix or Amazon Prime or, or mm-hmm. Hulu or whatever. Mm-hmm. There are so many choices for, still can't find for content. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> to me. And, you know, that's the other one, too. You know, uh, I have a lot of friends who come in like, have you watched this thing? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where is it on? They're like, oh, it's on the... The Paramount app. I'm like, I don't have that. Right, like, right. I, there's a million. <laughs> you know what that is? Like, I went to. I was. I was looking for a documentary to show uh, Kevin and Justin and the boys a couple weeks mm-hmm. ago when we were sitting around. It was a. It was a documentary about Morton Downey Jr. Okay. It was called Avocator. Okay. It was really, really mm-hmm. good actually. And it used to be on Netflix, and I couldn't find it, so I just went to the internet to look for it, and it was on some platform I'd never heard of yep. in my life. I'm like, what is this? Is some weird Bob place? Flick? So I don't know what Bob Flick is. I think it was it. Yeah. T-U-B-I or something? I don't know. No That's, I downloaded it specifically for that and then I think I deleted it. <laughs> it's, like, it's funny how, again, there's there's so many choices for everything. We just recently wrote a, a piece for the Light 98.7 website, the nine best restaurants you've mm-hmm. never heard of in Utica. And we went to a, one of them last night. It was great. I've never heard of this place before. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask you guys. Uh, you guys do a lot of nice web content to supplant like conversation stuff. How much connection do you have to the people who put those out? Like I saw that list. We write them. You write them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We each have to write. So Town Square itself is like very digitally forward. Our company. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, we're required to write like, mm. two pieces of content every single day. Really? Um, yep. And it's sort. I mean, it's. I enjoy it because I love writing. I, you know, I blogged before that. Before I got to Town Square, and um, it, it, it does. It forces you to sort of look at things mm-hmm. differently. Um, but that's you know back to the point about the the podcast and what I think makes radio different is if you can be local. So if we're mm-hmm. talking to our market about something that's locally accessible or you put it in terms that we understand here like mm-hmm. we're talking about the falling iguanas have you, yeah, you I know a little bit about you know, this yeah, like yeah. In Florida it's so cold in Florida that the yeah. iguanas are falling out of the trees yeah, yeah. 
So we're, you know, we're talking about that, but we're also joking about it relative to like here. Like we always complain about the snow, but ain't no iguana falling on my head anywhere. Like I'll take six feet of snow before I have like some animals stuck in my hair. Like I'm good with that. So I think that that's what that's what you're you're losing. Like radio as an industry is losing. Is yeah. when you syndicate and syndicate and syndicate, you're losing that local connection. We did a great thing uh, just yesterday or today. Did you say so yourself? About the. <laughs> The, the resort that's for sale in the Catskills that was used mm. to film The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, sure. Okay. And so we started talking about famous houses where we'd like to live. And I said, one place I would never want to live is the house from Poltergeist. We were joking about mm -hmm. that. Oh, yeah. And Beth said she brought up true a local story. aspect of it. True story. <laughs> they found bodies locally mm -hmm. here when they were doing some construction when work. When they built Bradley. <laughs> and I was like, wow. That's And so there was a, a sort of a regional national topic that got distilled down to a local level because of a tidbit yeah. that Beth added in. And you're not doing that if you're nationally syndicated right. out of wherever. Well, the other thing, too, and I, I want to get on to the question about Town Square, but yeah, sure. the podcasting thing I know, especially early on, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people were just converting their TV or radio content to a podcast without editing at all. I used to notice mm -hmm. this when I would watch, like, ESPN. Still happening. ESPN does this all the time. Like, if they have a ESPN FC's their soccer show, they will just take the audio from the television show and clump it on mm -hmm. as a podcast. Yep. But it's not formatted, so they're talking about the video that's on the screen, and there's like, yep. high, like what is this? I'm not. This is not a podcast. Yep. This is a audio cast of a TV show I wasn't going to watch anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I think that the other side is to actually make content that's specific for the audience mm -hmm. that you sure. want it to be. You can't just yeah. recycle the same content over and over again mm -hmm. and expect it to hit the same way. Good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got to ask, how long have you guys been at Town Square now? How many? It's been a couple years now? Uh, it'll be three years mm. this Just three July, years? I think. Or is it four? I think it might be four. Yeah, maybe right. Four. I think it is. Mm -hmm. How, uh, you, know, and, and, you know, Andrew had very nice things to say about you guys last well, time. He's the, he's the best. Yeah. What's, uh, I love Andrew. Is there sort of like that, it seems like there is sort of like a family style vibe down there when you guys are working there. Yeah. So everyone seems to sort of work in harmony with each other. More or less, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think some, you know, there are like kind of groups of us that get along really, really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, like the rest, it's all very professional. I mean, I think it's not. And we love Andrew. Mean. And, you know, of course, yeah. he is on IBX, as you said earlier, but yeah. he's also on our station. He delivers the news. Yep. Yeah. And so, because he's become a known voice on our show, we use him to, like, we pull him into some of the discussions sometimes that we're having about other topics, too. So, we love Andrew. Yeah. He's the best. Have you guys ever met Delilah? No. <laughs> Delilah. But you know what? People think. That she's in Utica. Yeah, I know that. We get messages all the time, and they'll be like, can you, "I needed to talk to Delilah. Can you tell her?" I'm like, "Sure thing. I'll tell her when I see her." Never. It's so funny. That's one of those things that I just. But remember. we do pass your messages on. We pass them on to Delilah. I. That was what my mom used to listen to when I was a kid. People That's, love Delilah. Yeah. Yeah. I actually don't even care for the songs. I just like hearing her little interludes in the middle mm -hmm. where she does that thing. <laughs> I want to do. I. This has been my dream for some time now. I want to do like. Um, I, a friend of mine called it snarky Delilah, mm. but not really snarky Delilah. Like I want to do like realistic Delilah. Like every once in a while, you'll catch a little bit out of Delilah where she'll she'll say she'll be like we'll call and be like I've been seeing this guy but like on the internet for five years and he won't meet me in person and she's like girl. <laughs> He's got somebody else. If he doesn't want to see you in person in five years, he is yanking your chain. But she says it in that very sweet Delilah way. Like, yeah, yeah. I want to like say, like, girl, so you crazy? Instead of Delilah, it could be F Lila. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know what? I've been, yeah, this is a really weird one. There goes the been, FCC license. I've really been enjoying, mm -hmm. uh, for the last six weeks, I don't know why I've been getting home at the right time for work. I'm watching a lot of Judge Judy. My <laughs> mother is she's too. Great. It's I, funny you say she's that. She's refreshing. And there's nothing better I like than when a 
couple of young people come in and do something for, and she just doesn't understand it. Like they're like, I have text message pictures of the sh- of the the conversation. She's like, I don't understand any of this. Can you read this? I don't understand this. You kids are crazy. <laughs> it's like, just, she does not care yeah. at all. Uh, and I've I've found I guess that's how I can tell I'm leaning into my uh, my adulthood stages. I'm it's really the enjoying. It is the cardigan. I wear a cardigan every day. My kids I know. Fun. It's funny. I got this cardigan for Christmas. I came in. To, I, is it, I, I bought it for myself. I put it on my Amazon wish list. I'm like, somebody please buy this for me. Um, <laughs> turned out to be me. It turned out to be myself. Uh, and I wore it to school the first day. Uh-huh. And one of my high school kids, one of my seniors, is like, hey, Mr. Fam, new cardigan? It's nice. I'm like, oh, God damn it. Kids. You damn kids. Um, you're known as Mr. Fam, by the way? Well, in. No one can say my name correctly a lot of times. Like, Famolaro is not... It sounds easy enough. It's not enough. that hard. Yeah, but people always screw it up. You, you, They put the L in the front, Mr. Flamolaro, Mr. F- yeah. Really? You, That's you even things, harder. It's terrible. Like, I, I want to say with the New York A, like, Famolaro. I always want them to just call me something cool. Like, hey, just call him Mr. F. But they don't ever want to do that. I think just, Mr. Fam is plenty cool. Mr. Yeah. Fam is fine. Like um, for a long time, they used to call me Mr. Sam. Which I appreciated because, mm-hmm. like, I was like, "Nah, Mr. Fam is my dad," and I'm like, "You don't want to talk to my dad." I'm pretty <laughs> sure his dad is not Mr. Fam. No, he's uh, Big Sal. We call him. <laughs> um, uh, no, it, but it, it is interesting though. Like, I, I do think with uh, I lost my train of thought. We were talking about cardigans. Woo, woo. Yes, <laughs> before we were talking about cardigans, we were talking about. Oh, just Judy. Oh, yeah. Yes, <laughs> just Judy. getting trolled. <laughs> well, I got to ask you a question actually about something else before I forget because I yes. have it written down here, and Uh-oh. one of my staff at work mentioned. That she was helping you with some sort of confidence coach things you're doing. Are you doing like some sort of confidence? Uh, life co- coaching. Life yeah. coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yep. She seems very uh, pleased with it. What's what's this? Is like a new venture for you or something? Yeah, it's um just something like I, my whole entire life, like I think the thing that I enjoy the most is like helping people. Mm. Um, it's very sweet. And, no, it's true though. <laughs> like it's really true. Honest to God. Um, and so, I, yeah. So I went to this um a life coach training for like a year. Um, with the woman who was like Oprah's life coach, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm saying that totally. <laughs> the way it sounds, like exactly that. That's very. I'm rolling but my eyes. But really, it's see just it. about. It's really just about how we get in our own way. Like the what mm. the stories we tell ourselves yeah. about ourselves screw us all up. And yep. like, if you just get to your own truth, like you'll be able to do what you want to do. As a teacher, I see a lot of stuff they post on different rooms, like these little motivational quotes. Yeah. And the one I always think of is it's like, a, if you think you can, or you think you can't. You're probably right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's the. Like, but that's yeah. really true. Like we all. What I think is so interesting is how like, this is what some. I was reading this in a book, and it's so accurate. Like you know how your brain is just constantly talking. Mm-hmm. It's like a like a voiceover the whole entire time. I talk to myself all the time. People think I'm a crazy person. No, so yeah, we all you. do. Yeah. We all do that in our heads. It's the way that our, we process the world that we mm-hmm. see. But our our brain is wrong like half the time, if mm. not more. Like it's always like, oh my god, there's a thing. It's a crazy dog. Oh no, that's just a bag of garbage. Like yeah. if you had a friend <laughs> yeah. who was standing next to you, like talking the way that your brain does all the time, mm. you'd be like, shut the hell up. But mm. when our brain says it, we're like, oh, it must be true. Like if you're yeah. like, I suck at math. I'll never be good at math. Your brain's like, yes, no, fact. And it's funny. Only as I got older, because I was that kid yeah. in high school. My aunt was the math. The, my aunt was the head of the math department at Proctor. She was yep. brilliant. She would teach calculus. And I remember going through. I think at the time it was called Course Four or like Math A and B. They change it all the time, but mm-hmm. it was the last thing you would take before calculus. And I was just not only was I bad at it, I didn't want to be good at it. Yeah. I was just like, no, nah, I'm not interested in any of this. And mm-hmm. my point, <laughs> a history yeah, teacher. She like tutored me in it. And she would every day, and I got to the I got to the Regents, and I got like a 66. I just barely like mm-hmm. right on the cusp. And I talked to her. I was like, do you think I should take calculus? She's like, God no. She's like, <laughs> she's like please, <laughs> good, please stop, please don't do it. Uh, but now as I get older, you know, 
um, I went back to college and I had to do certain amounts of math, I kind of, in my more adult mindset, I was like, I kind of like this math. Sure. Yeah. I like the simplicity of math where there's one answer and mm-hmm. you have to get to that one answer. Yeah. Everything in history is a billion answers to unanswerable questions, right? Yeah. There's something nice about the solidity and the, the hard yes or no of like a math or mm-hmm. science course that I wish I appreciated more when I was younger. Yeah. I, I was horrible at math too, except for statistics because I loved doing batting averages and yeah. earn run averages. Oh, yeah. I, would, I would immediately, like if I'd watch a baseball game, I would calculate, recalculate oh, yeah. a player's batting average or earn run average based on the stats from that game. you got to be a fantasy I, f- I baseball it. player, right? I was, but I, <laughs> I just have no time anymore. I'd get calls for trades at like... Three o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's just like it's insane if you're doing it right. Because if because you want to win, you want to win the fantasy league. I'm like, no, Man, I, I can't. Was, I was the G. I was the the owner, quote unquote, the the commissioner of a keeper fantasy baseball league for like ten years, mm-hmm. and I just got rid of it a couple years ago. And I was like, oh, you know what? I can't, I can't keep doing this. I don't know any players anymore. I don't watch enough games. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm like dra- I'm like drafting dudes from like 1997. I'm like, oh, is Roberto Clemente out there? Can I get him somewhere? <laughs> I, um, but we did, we did fantasy football this year, and I was really bored at it again. Yeah. Um, you know, the best baseball uh, story I read recently was about the the Washington Nationals winning ooh. the World Series, yeah, yeah. and how they can't their, their big moment was getting rid of Bryce Harper, mm. and they he was the best player they had, and yet they decided he's too much, he's too divisive in the locker room. Mm-hmm. We're getting rid of him. And they won the championship the year. And look what happened to the Phillies. They picked them up and they didn't get into the playoffs. And yeah. so sometimes it's like a parallel in the business world. Sometimes you have to jettison yeah. your best player or salesperson because maybe they're toxic yeah. within within the culture of your company. It's that addition by subtraction concept. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you, We have to make space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only way we can do it is by taking out this big albatross. Yeah. Parkinson, are they losing? 1-1. So... Uh, I want to do some new lightning round questions with you yes. guys. I have new ones. Before I do that, though, yes. uh, do you guys want to give a shout-out to where people can get a hold of you if they want to see you or get in touch with you guys or reach out to you at any point in time? Um, well, you can always... Um, we're always on Facebook. I'm always on Facebook. Just look up my name. <laughs> you are on Facebook yeah, a lot, actually. Um, Facebook, yeah. on Instagram, on the Twitter, all... I think uh, my, it's my name on Facebook and everything else. It's Beth Coombs underscore. And uh, I'm lying on the couch watching um, <laughs> The Outsider, which is the new Stephen King thing, which is fantastic. I actually just bought Kevin that I bought Kevin that book for Christmas last mm-hmm. year. We're both big Stephen King guys. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know if he started watching the show. He says the book is excellent, and so I kind of want to dig through the book before I start digging into he's, it. But. Stephen King is such a good writer. I, I mean, he's I love so his good. He's, he's one of those books where you read them and you find yourself thinking in Stephen King writing speak. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I can't even explain what I'm trying to say, but I you know what I mean? And he's a huge baseball fan, too. I don't know if I've told this story to you guys mm-hmm. before, but I've told it on the podcast a million times, so pardon me, folks, if you've <laughs> heard this a billion times. When I was working in New York, I was working in a restaurant in Times Square, let's call it mm-hmm. Carmine's, because mm-hmm. that was the name of the restaurant. <laughs> um, <laughs> shout out to Carmine's, great wings. Uh, and they would do, uh, you know, sometimes they would do, like, casts would come in from shows, or, like, big groups of folks would come in. So this big 27, 28 table comes in, and it's all this cast and crew from some sort of like production. Mm-hmm. And then Meg Ryan, John Mellencamp, and Stephen King wow. come in <laughs> as part of this group. Hmm. And for me, in descending order, I'm like, wow, Meg Ryan's face, like facelift looks terrible. <laughs> John Mellencamp looks amazing. He looks exactly what I would expect <laughs> him to look like in at, like short. a 65 year old. Yeah, short, <laughs> wearing a leather jacket, gray <laughs> yeah. hair, rough looking. Yep. And then there's Stephen King. And I'm like a huge Stephen King mark. And as a waiter in New York, there is an unwritten rule about how you're supposed to react to celebrities. Yeah. Right? I met a lot of famous-ish folks, some relatively famous folks, and you're really supposed to just be polite. Sure. And if, you know, 
at the end of the meal, like, I, I think I met Doc Gooden there one time. I didn't say anything to him. And then right at the end, I was like, hey, I just want you to know my dad loved you and shook his hand. That was it, right? Mm-hmm. You, you got to be low key. Sure. Mm-hmm. But Stephen King is one of my all-time favorites. And one of my buddies convinced me. He's like, dude, you have to go over there and say something to him. Like, you have a tattoo on your arm of <laughs> one of his, like, books. Like, you have to go just say something to him. Mm-hmm. So I go over to Stephen King and I'm like, oh, Mr. King, I just want to let you know I, I read all your books like when I was 13 to when I was like I've read everything a million times I actually have a tattoo on my arm of one of your books and he's like ah let me see it so I I, <laughs> I rolled my sleeve up and he looks at it, he's like ah it's the stand and I'm like well yes it is you do you are aware of your own work um so I was like and I'm like okay what do I do I was like hey stupid question would you autograph the tattoo because my idea in that, my head you're gonna go get it I'll yep. go get mm-hmm. the signature yep. tattooed yep. if it doesn't um, yep. It doesn't warm off my arm, right? Which it did. I had to wrap it up, and by the time I got out there, it was all gone. I was like, mm. uh, but spoiler alert! He did it for me. He did it for me. He, so I'm like, I'm like, oh man, like I'm best friends with this guy now. He's my buddy. So I'm trying to say something to him to like really let him know that I'm like cool and I'm in the zone. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I knew this really weird fact about him, and I was like, hey, is your daughter still a priest in Utica? Mm-hmm. And he looked at me like I was a stalker. And he's like, no. And he turned around and he ran away. And I was like, oh my God, oh. I've terrified Stephen King. It's like, a, <laughs> it's like the highlight of my life. So I'm always waiting every day for the story to come out about the evil waiter who <laughs> like, tracked him down at a restaurant. Uh, so yeah, I, I made Stephen King uncomfortable, which is one of the very weirdest moments of my entire life. And then you were like, I, well, I was telling her while she was in my trunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Like, it's so weird. Well, it's, it, a lot of it is because for years, like, he references Utica a lot in his mm-hmm. books. And it's because he has this weird Northeast connection. And I, that's mm-hmm. kind of where I was going with it. Yeah. Uh, to no, let no, him know no. That, I'm I was like, no, Utica. no, I'm oh, cool. Uh, it's terrible. His book on writing, by the way. Amazing. Oh, Great. just okay. fantastic. Um, so before we get to the lightning round questions, I just yes. saw, we're going to do a very quick uh, internet rumors and innuendos, don't worry about the title. Uh, where I go through social media streams and find something interesting I wanted to talk oh, about. All right. uh, Are uh, social media streams? Yeah, yeah, it's oh, cool. Yeah, no, don't worry. Cool. No, don't worry, it's an easy one, I promise. Uh, and it was about, uh, you guys just went to go see 1917. Yes. Yes. Um, and I'm just curious, I haven't seen a lot of the Oscar movies this year. I've only yes. seen like one of them. What did you guys think? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I liked uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood better. That's the one I saw. Yep. I, I thought that was fantastic. Did you like The Irishman? Uh, yeah. Yes. And, and I thought I wasn't going to like it because I'm not a big Scorsese fan and mm. it's awfully long. I was riveted. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah I, I liked it a lot. I, di- I, did, I didn't want to buy into the idea that it was too long because mm-hmm. part of me's like, nah, it's just that no one has any patience for anything right. anymore yeah. these right. days. And then I started at like 6 o'clock one night and I was like, okay. This yeah. is pretty long. <laughs> I was like, I didn't hate it. Yeah. This is pretty long. Yeah. I thought, I mean, at no point, there, I've, I've seen other movies that were like two hours long and I've been like, God, this is so long. I didn't feel like that was, did that was see, excessively long. Did you go see Joker? No. Interested no. in seeing that? Dave no. wanted to, we were, that was I wanted to, but I, I don't really want to enough. I, I, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, and I, I read something, you know, do you know Mike DeCourcy? He's mm-hmm. a, He's a basketball writer, a long time for the Sporting News, but he's also seen every single Academy Award-nominated movie for the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's, yeah, yeah. he's stuck to it, and he writes about sure. it and stuff like that. So um, he said the Joker, he found the, the, the um, subject matter to be vile. And somebody else, yeah. somebody else said, "Well, Clockwork Orange, a famous book mm. by you know by uh, Anthony Burgess, that was made into a movie yeah. by Stanley mm-hmm. Kubrick. You know that's this is a tough watch, by the way. It is. <laughs> it's a tough but, watch. But he, but he said, yeah, but at least you can make the the argument that that movie was about a dystopian society and there was some you know some historical significance yeah. to it. He says the Joker is just vile. 
And I don't, yeah. I don't know. I just, but I read that and I trust DeCourcy and I'm like, mm. eh. Well, Kevin went to see it uh, and he actually said that he felt like that sort of narrative is a little bit overblown. Mm-hmm. And the argument being like, can you not make movies about stuff that's, yeah. you know, interesting? And mm-hmm. I think it is sort of this, I have no, I, I like Joaquin Phoenix. I'm mm-hmm. sure he's great in it. Yeah. It looks like he's going to win the Academy Award for yeah. acting for it. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. That seems like a Netflix one. When it comes on some sort of streaming platform. I think it is on Netflix now. Mm-hmm. Is it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. We, they were yeah. going to watch it. Because yeah. huh. yeah, that's the sort of thing. My big argument now, if I go see a movie in the theater, it's almost got to be a movie that I think is better to see on a big screen. Mm-hmm. 1917 feels like a movie you want to see yeah. on a big mm-hmm. giant screen with all the tracking shots. Mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's got that Tarantino mm-hmm. big shooting style where you want to see it on that big screen. You know, I don't feel like I'd need to... I don't think The Irishman would have been any better or any worse if Probably I saw not. it on a, on yeah. a big yeah. I agree. It would have done agree. much for me. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's get to some lightning round questions. Uh, because you guys have been on the show, uh, these are different lightning round questions. If you struggle <laughs> okay. with them, I'll just move beyond. Uh, Beth, I'll start with oh, you. Um, the pressure. Who would you like to play you in the movie of your life? Oh, my God. Starting at what point? Like, young me or old me? Well, you can give me both if you have, you seem like you have ideas. Well, by the time I reach old me, young me will be, you know, uh, I won't even, she's probably not even born yet. Um, Oh my God. Dave, this question's for you next too. So if you have an answer and you want to jump I'll in, start, I'll go. I'll go first. I, I like. You know, who I like a lot is Kevin Klein. He he's, hmm, he Kevin makes Klein. me laugh, but he's also a good serious actor. He can sing. I, I've I've enjoyed him in just about everything I've ever seen. I love Kevin Klein. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. I love I, it. Who's the actress who's married? I know her, but I can't think of her name. Who's married to James Bond? Uh, Daniel Craig's wife there. Yes. Um, oh, her. Uh, Ra- yeah. Rachel Weisz. Yes, Rachel her. Weiss. Yeah, like she's her. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's got curly hair. I'm vaguely excited to see that new James Bond movie. I'm not sure. I didn't I, like the last couple I of I like him. I don't watch him. Craig? He's very yeah, handsome. Like he's him. a handsome he's guy. He's a good looking guy. Uh, he's no Colin Firth, but he'll do. <laughs> Who is your favorite fictional villain? Your favorite fictional villain. Oh, I watched the, the, the movie. It's strange to say. I don't know why it came right into my mind, but you should always give the first response when something like this mm-hmm. happens. The movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> wow! Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <laughs> the child catcher in Chitty Chitty yes. Bang Bang is one of the most oh, evil. In fact, I'm getting chills right now <laughs> thinking about watching that movie when I was a kid. I forget the name of the actor who played him, but man, the, watch that oh, movie. I gotta look. I gotta, my sisters are probably really happy you said that. I, uh, I should probably come up with like something more deep and like illiterate, but I'm gonna go, and people are gonna say he's not really the villain. I know that, but I'm gonna have to say Snape in Harry Potter. So you know what? I'm not gonna call you out for that. I got called out last week because I did these questions with Kevin and Heather, uh-huh. and they asked me, and I said Quint from Jaws, and they said to me, Quint's not the villain of Jaws. No, I was like yeah, he is. He's the bad guy. <laughs> and they're like, I was like, he's Ahab. He's the scumbag. They're like, no, the shark is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's just conflicted. The um, shark is just doing what sharks do. Yeah, shark thing. He's an animal. He doesn't yeah, have any he's, thoughts he's, of right or wrong. Uh, let me let it. me throw one more in there. The, I love it. The warden from Shawshank Redemption. Ooh, you know what? Bob Gunton. Very oh. strong. That's a good one. <laughs> That was, uh, I actually listened to a podcast on the Ringer Network that they do called The Rewatchables, where mm-hmm. they go back and they talk about old movies. Mm-hmm. I listened to the Shawshank Redemption one not too long ago. I, I watch that movie anytime it's on. I anytime will, it's on. I will cast you down among the sodomites. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is one possession that you could never get rid of? One personal possession that you could never get rid of. We thought about doing this on the radio recently, didn't we? Yeah. Oh, my God. They're so, well, my dog's. Oh. I don't consider them a possession. <laughs> Probably, um, 
like an inanimate object. Probably, yeah. um, actually, the, um, this uh, ring belonged to my great grandmother's. So mm. that. Very nice. Yeah. My uh, my grandfather was my was essentially my dad growing up because my dad wasn't in the picture. I'm with you on that uh, one. There's brother. a little cigar case that oh, nice. belonged to him that I still have and yeah. I, I value that a lot. Yeah, I'm with you on that. That was one of those. Not that my dad wasn't always around, but my mm-hmm. grandfather was a big like. There's a picture of me and my old grandfather on mm-hmm. the mantle that I've carried to like 19 apartments. Yeah. You know what I mean, I just mm-hmm. can't. You know. My grandfather was the best. He was a, a principled businessman mm-hmm. and a lover of the arts and funny and down to earth and mm-hmm. just a great man. Very cool. Very mm-hmm. cool. Uh, what would be? Is your last one for now? Uh, well, no, two more. I'm sorry. Okay. okay. Uh, what would be your dream category on Jeopardy? Like one category that <laughs> you would dominate in that no one else could touch you in. Uh, anything from Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. <laughs> oh, <I> totally nailed <laughs> Pride that. and Prejudice. It's my category. favorite book of okay. all time. Or um, I don't know if I would be untouchable, but I'm pretty good at like science. Science, broad yeah. science. See, yeah, I, I said dinosaurs, science. and then somebody that someone said that was too broad. Too- oh well, science is way broad. Then I'm going to stick with uh, the the plot and and parts of. Sports for a thousand, Sam. I was going to say, sports <laughs> statistics. Oh, wait, science is too broad? Sports is there? Well, well, that was what we were talking when Justin, I asked Justin this question, and he was like, uh, where players went to college. Like, if you give me a football player, I can tell you where they went to college. You know what else? You know what our odd, odd one I'm good at is um, area codes. I can, if you give, Ooh, me, area give, me, give me an area code, I probably can tell you where it's located. He's also good. He's good at, like, any obscure, like, you'll say, oh, you know that band. He's like, you know, those guys met in college when uh, so-and-so had an ingrown toenail and he was in the infirmary. <laughs> Well, that was Kevin's one. He's like, I know the names of band members. Like, if you give me a band, I'll name mm-hmm. all the members in the band. I'm like, I can do that for maybe one band. Two I can't bands, even tops. name all the artists we play. I'm like, what's that <laughs> song by that guy about the shoes? What? <laughs> I don't know. And give me, uh, you guys can both team up on this one if you want. Give me one book, album, movie, or show you guys are currently reading, listening to, or watching. Oh, my God. I'm reading like eight books right now. Mm. Um, Good for you. <laughs> I know. I'm reading Brene Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been watching Outlander, because who don't love a good-looking man in a kilt? Mm, people like that show. I've heard a couple oh, of people talk yeah, about that show. I yeah. bet a lot of them are women. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah, that show's good. And uh, we've been watching The Outsider. Yep. And we've That's been... Bateman? Yeah. 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 Well, like briefly. Him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. And yeah. uh uh, a guy named uh, Ben Mendelsohn is in that. He's he was fantastic. Oh, yeah. He was in a uh, series called Bloodline, too, yep. which we finished watching, mm-hmm. which was, I thought, great. What else? Um, Chance with um, with uh, Hugh Laurie. Laurie was very good. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Alienist, which was a great book That's, by uh, Caleb Carr. What's his name? Uh, Daniel Bruhl? Yes. Who I like. He's good in everything. That like series was, was fantastic. So. What are we watching now, aside from those two? Oh, and we were watching Messiah? Mm-hmm. Messiah. On Netflix? Like yeah, it's, is is he is he a true messiah or is he just a con man? Is, is it based he... off the Gore Vidal book? No, I was no, saying there's no, a Gore Vidal book is, called I think Messiah. It's original. It's, no, this right. is it's it's more like a sort of Middle Eastern politics, mm. a little mm-hmm. bit like. I don't know. It's weird, but it's good. Mm-hmm. Well, I told you guys I wasn't going to keep you too long, an hour of 53 minutes. So I want to thank you guys. <laughs> no, it's always a pleasure to have you guys on the show. I always appreciate when you come in. Thank sure. you guys for doing sure, so much Sam. great work, and we appreciate thank you. you. Uh, and again, you can listen uh, to Beth and Dave. 5.30 in the morning, soft opening. Yes. On 6 to 10. 6 to 10, 98.7 Light FM. Thank you guys again so much. Thanks, I Sam. appreciate Thank you. you. Go enjoy the rest of your day. We'll be back to the show, folks, in just a minute.
All right, thank you once again to Beth, Dave. Great time talking to them. Always have a great time talking to them. Um, when I spoke with them, though, they were, uh, and we're going to pull this up as a list right now, they were going to all the restaurants that were on a w, uh, 98.7 uh, list of the nine best restaurants in Utica that no one's ever heard of. They've been checking them out. They've been going. That no one's ever heard well, of, huh? <laughs> okay, nine, yeah. Nine best Utica restaurants. Nine best Utica restaurants to spend money advertising with us. Yeah. So, uh, they've been going through the list, apparently. Sure. Uh, can I hear this list? You want to want to talk about it off the air? No, no, we can. Well, I'll give you the list. We'll okay. see if there's anything on here. Black Rice Sushi. I did not know that was a real place, actually. Mm, I don't know about Black Rice yeah. Sushi. So, I'll give them that. I didn't know that That's one. That's fair. Out of the Way Cafe. Oh, yeah. Out of the Way Cafe is good. Mm-hmm. Good spot. Good lunch spot. Uh, Trattoria Calabria. I've never Yo, been there. Trattoria Calabria is is the jam. They do the tasting menu thing. They do right? the yeah. You go in. Trattoria Calabria is literally like you're at this guy's house. Yeah, I appreciate. And that. then whatever he's cooking that night is what he's cooking that night. You have no say in what comes. Like you can tell him if you're like, hey, you know, I've got like a shellfish allergy or like I'm allergic to like peanuts. Mm-hmm. That stuff you can tell them, and they'll try to work around you if they can. But like generally, yeah. you go there and have no say in it. He just sends out courses. And it's like going to eat a meal at somebody's house. Which is excellent. It's genuinely like going to somebody's house for dinner. Great spot. Uh, fun, unconventional date spot if you're with somebody who's adventurous and you yeah. want like something outside the standard like, oh, we're going to Nail Creek or we're going to one of like these three restaurants. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Story of Calabria. Uh, Parkinson and Kate from Midnew, you just told me they went to uh, Apsara on 32 Bank Place. I've heard a couple yeah. things about Cambodian that. Cambodian Thai stuff. I haven't been down there yet. Yeah, yeah. How about the Hub Eatery? Yo, um, the Hub. Yeah, the Hub is burning it up. I'll tell you what. Uh... Right in the old uh, Cocktails and Dreams, the old Club yep. 02. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right down there in Bleecker. Um, the, the guy who, Frank, who runs it, um, has been around Utica for a long time. A lot of people know Frank. Um, he he really goes hard for his business. Mm. Like, he really goes. I went down there one day. Um, I was going down to lunch with somebody, and we pulled in the parking lot. We should go check this place out. And he was out in his car, and we were walking up. He goes, oh, you guys coming for lunch? Like, oh, yeah, you know, he's like, oh, we normally close from 2 to 4. You know what I mean? Like, the yeah. in-between, which is a pretty common thing for a lot of lunch spots. He goes, but no, no. He goes, I'll go in. I'll cook you something right now. Let's go. I'll turn it back on. I'll get going. And he was ready to get out of his car when he was headed yeah. home to go in and cook for us. Um, you like to see that kind of business owner. A lot of people like it quite a bit down there. Uh, Sunny has been very popular. That's mm-hmm. over on Albany Street. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Masood's Cafe. A lot of stuff on Bank Place. They're really killing this Bank Place. Bank, bank Place is like, secretly got tons of spots to eat <laughs> yeah. on it. Yeah. Uh, Taste of Laos, also on Taste Bank. Taste of Laos is amazing. Shout out. Shout out to, uh, Jonan and the Velardis. Oh, yeah. The whole Velardi oh, yeah. team out there. And then, of course, Joey's at 307 Mohawk Street. Which is weird, yeah. Joey's just moved down the road and people don't realize it. And now the old Joey's building, which was super cool, just has one cryptic sign in the door that says members only. And all the shades are drawn. <laughs> so I don't know I don't know what kind of greaseball stuff is going on uh, in there, but... Yeah, so actually it's a pretty good list, actually. That is a good I'll list. I'll give you credit on that. Uh, there are, I mean, there are, besides like you know the big names here, there are so many places to eat. Because you can think of another nine if we were to sit here and think about it that are on that list that still aren't the, you know, the big names. Um... Yeah, it was funny, too, because I told them, you know, and I don't even know if this place wants my endorsement, but mm. um, I went to Pelletary Joe's for the first time in a long time, not mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. Man, I know that's sort of like a, that's like one of those things, if you live in Utica, someone's talked about Pelletary Joe's to you. Yeah, yeah. You gotta kind of want to go into a place that you don't understand what you're looking at. Like, you walk in, and you're like, this place? This place? Yeah. And then you sit down, and you look at the food, you're like, this place? Yeah, 100%. And then you eat it, and you go, oh, this, this place. place. <laughs> yeah, 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 this place for uh-huh. sure. Uh, here's my hot food take of the week with Pelletary Joe's. Best greens in the city, not even close, don't at me any other restaurant. Like, it's not even a contest. It's true. 
such a delicious treat. Oh my god, don't be a vegetarian to get the greens though, because there's mad meat in it. There's definitely meat in those greens. Yeah, for sure. I feel like we should start hanging down there. You we should make that the thing. We'll start going down there. You, you gotta get them to start showing soccer games. Uh, they're not putting any TVs in that thing. <laughs> probably, probably a bridge too far for the old timers. Um, but. You know what's funny about it though? Uh, I went there with 10 people. Yeah. My cousins, all my This is what I'm saying. Like, you know, I'm gonna get a meal for cheap. It was 150 bucks, just 10 people. We were drinking, we were eating liberally, liberally uh-huh. eating and drinking. Uh, any other places that you got to go to as an off off the, the grid restaurant? Oh, man. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of places I like. I love, shout out to Wanna Play Cafe up in yeah, North yeah. Utica with mm-hmm. the board games. Mm-hmm. Uh, the food is excellent up there. Um, I feel up and down because depending who you talk to, some people are like, oh, of course I know that place. Other people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes. But Pumpernickels oh. in the New Hartford Shopping Center. All the way in that weird little center court corridor, and then in the back uh, is my favorite. It's my favorite lunch spot. It's just my favorite spot to go get lunch. Mm. They do such a good job. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of places. Go to mm. go to a lot of different places. Old school over on Culver Ave has the best steak sandwich I've ever had in the city. Mm. Old school. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know what? Old. They put it on like the garlic bread, and it's just covered in parm. They got like these little. Like, they basically look like home fries, but they're deep fried. One of the oh, best, yeah. like, potato sides in the city. Yeah, I'm hungry now thinking about yeah, this. Yeah, I'm saying. <laughs> um, so, uh, real quick, I guess we'll talk about this. I don't have a segment set up, but... Mm-hmm. Well, Mikasa on Genesee Street. Oh. And El Barajo on Bleecker Street. Very true. Both excellent facilities. Uh, last night, we missed it because we were watching the Royal Rumble, which we watch every year. Sure. professional wrestling event. The Grammys were last night. Uh, I did not watch any of them. I would like to go back and watch the performances. I'd like to do. I like to go online and watch them. Mm. Uh, but for folks who are curious, Billie Eilish sweeping all the top categories. Mm. She won Album of the Year, Best New Artist, Song of the Year, Record of the Year, Best Pop Vocal Album. Can I ask you a question about the Grammys? Yeah. I don't understand the categories sometimes. They seem to have like these weird like best like rock performance, but that's different than like best rock album or right. What's what are they char- are they saying best live show? I don't uh, understand what they're so no, I think when they say performance, it's probably the same as like record. Record sure. when you so in the one thing I can tell you, um, when they say record, when it's record of the year, yeah. that means like song of the year. When they say right. record, that's an individual song. When they're talking about the album, they say hmm. album of the year. So like you know what I mean? So like Lizzo won best pop solo performance. What's that? Uh probably best for did she win it? Does it say what she won it for? Like for a song? Yeah, for the song "Truth Hurts." Yeah, so that's the best, the best solo performance of a pop act of the year, like in a, on a song. Uh, good look for Lil Nas X getting himself a Grammy. There's, oh, a, yeah. there's a good chance that he might not ever have a hit as big as uh, as Old Town Road ever again. Probably never as big. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then because I'm a big fan of uh, rock and alternative. Your best rock performance goes to Gary Clark Jr. Yo, Gary Clark Jr. got three Grammys last night. Yes, he and did. Uh, people are not listening to enough Gary Clark Jr. And you should listen to more because he's awesome. If you ever complain about the guitars are gone, there's no good music, and there's no rock music, mm. but you don't listen to Gary Clark Jr., uh, you're a fool and you're part of the problem. Uh, best so, rock, Get out there. Get after it. Best rock album, Cage the Elephant. I don't know much about Cage the Elephant. People like Cage the Elephant. I don't know much about him. I listened to... They had those like hits on that first uh, the first album, mm-hmm. the In One Ear and Right Out the Other and Ain't No Rest for the Wicked. Mm-hmm. Um, they're cool. It's not... I feel like I haven't listened to a lot of their later albums, so I can't really say. But I feel like with Cage the Elephant, they were the type of band that came on. I'm like, oh, I'm glad to hear this. But if I wanted to hear this, there's other bands I could go to for this. Sure. That sure. were already out. Yeah. 
But uh, and then of course, best alternative music album, one of my favorites, uh, Father of the Bride, Vampire Weekend. Mm. Uh, you know, it's funny the Vampire Weekend has sort of turned into a an old man band along with yeah. me over the years. I mean, they were an old man band when they came out. They were yacht rock the day they came out. It was just old man music. Yes, they decided basically that they were going to do like the second half of Paul Simon's career over again. Sure. Like. <laughs> like uh, but it's interesting, like, that album, I, I actually come to like all the Vampire Weekend albums a little bit more as I get older. Like, oh, yeah. I really, and I, I don't know what that says about me, I guess, but... Um, good albums. There are a lot of good albums. Shout out to uh, GFOP uh, Cliff Montoni for being the first guy to get me on Anderson Pac, and he won a bunch Yo. of stuff last night. Best R&B yeah, album. Yeah, Anderson Pac is awesome. I got up on him. He was on the, uh, the last Tribe Called Quest album. The one that came out with, like, uh, posthumously when Fife Dog passed away. Mm-hmm. And he was all over that. And he was showing up with them on SNL and different stuff. I'm like, oh, who's this guy? And I listened to uh, his album, Malibu. And ever since then, I was converted. He's also got an excellent Tiny Desk concert on NPR on the YouTube channel, if you mm-hmm. want to see it. Uh, he plays drums a lot while he sings, too. He's, he's an excellent, excellent artist. Hmm. Yeah, so, uh, shout out. The only other one that I thought was interesting, uh, best rap album, Tyler the Creator one for his new album, Igor. I've heard that Igor, yeah, a lot of people, I didn't listen to Igor too much, I didn't really have uh, a lot of time for it, but um, I've heard that it's excellent. It's just interesting to me. A lot of people are saying that it's like a... I kind of thought that Tyler the Creator was kind of gone. Yeah, he he, he regrew. He's back. He he embraced the fact, like, he sort of became a little more like, oh, put about his sexuality and like embraced the fact that like he's like bisexual and... Mm -hmm. And, like, really grew as an artist and became really open and really intimate and started to, like, re-resonate with people. And it wasn't just about, like, the shock. You go back listen to a track like Yonkers off his first record. Mm-hmm. And it's obvious that this guy is doing something new and different and creative, but it's also bleak. You yeah. know, and one of the few songs I remember playing one time my brother being like, dude, what is this? Yes. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, I know exactly what you mean. Like, a lot of that Odd Future stuff felt very bleak. A lot of it, yeah. yeah. It was all very bleak and very nihilist and really yeah. sort of a progenitor to a lot of the stuff that comes out now, you know, that's mm-hmm. come out since then. Because a lot of Odd Future stuff came out almost 10 years ago now, you know yeah. what I mean? Eight, if not 10. And um, yeah, a lot of that stuff is really bleak and was really kind of a progenitor to a lot of the stuff you're seeing in rap and, you know, pop rap and pop R&B stuff and like the really, really bleak nihilistic outlook. Uh, Kanye did not win Best Gospel Album for... for... <laughs> sure, he didn't sure. deserve to. I'm positive that he did not deserve to, so that's that's all fine um, and good with me. I'd like to go back and watch some of the performances. I do like to go back and watch I always love to see the performances, performance. yeah, yeah. Um, I guess... Uh, We're I talking had... quick about music. I just oh, want yeah, to no, say, no, I just want to say real quickly, sure. um, something else people need to be aware of. Mm. Uh, the band Pearl Jam has a new oh, song yeah. out. Oh, yeah. Uh, their first album in like seven years is coming out. This new song is called Dance of the Clairvoyance. Yes. And it sounds like the talking heads, and it sounds nothing like anything they've ever done, and it's awesome. It's really, it's really cool. Awesome. As a guy who felt like Pearl Jam was done making interesting music interesting that music, wasn't like outside yeah, yeah. of their comfort zone. It wasn't it wasn't like retreaded dad rock. Yeah. You can say it. It's okay. No, it's true. I, I, I gotcha. Yeah. I really felt and not to say that I didn't like everything. You know, there's some certain Pearl Jam songs of the last years I still like. Like go sure. listen to the fixer. That song's dope, right? Right. This felt new and vital in a way that I did not expect from them, and it gives me hope that this album will be cool and new and vital as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm excited about. It. I didn't expect. I've never heard a Pearl Jam make such a dancey song. Yes, I mean it's like there's like synths and dancing and like all sorts. It's really good. I mean, Green Disease was pretty dancing. False. <laughs> it was not. It was, you just like the name of the song. I do like. The you name just of like. Song. You probably don't even remember which song that is. You just remember. No, the I name. remember Green Disease. Oh, yeah, okay. I remember Green uh-huh. Disease. Uh-huh. Like this story. Uh, it's true. Yeah. It's the name of my novel for like ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Uh, two odd sports stories. Uh, well, not sports stories. Um, let's call it, uh, I guess, product placement stories, right? Sure. Uh, the first one, I'm sure you heard about this. Uh, it's a huge, huge story going around in Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia Flyers mascot, Gritty. Uh, who is a terrifying Muppet that looks like he's on cocaine, if you've ever seen the picture of him. His eyes are Googling out wild. Uh, he has been accused of punching a 13-year-old boy straight in the back after taking a picture with him. Uh, I mean, mascots get beat up and treated like shit all the time, I feel like, historically. Mm. I'm not saying that this kid didn't get punched in the back. Was this kid messing with Gritty, do you think? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this kid definitely messing yeah. with Gritty in the first place. Almost assuredly. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's weird because I saw a lot of people talking about this on, on social media and mm-hmm. being like, oh, Gritty, like what else? Here's the thing. Jokes aside, if Gritty did punch somebody in the back, like yeah. some kid in the back, mm-hmm. you have to remember, it's a guy in a suit. Yeah. <laughs> Gritty yeah. is not a you real... You can't sue the mascot. You can't, you can't sue the... <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like If you work at Disney and you dress up as Mickey and you just clock some old lady, like, you can't... You're pressing charges against Mickey. Oh, you're man. pressing charges against, like, you know, Paul Jones that wears the suit and yes. was working the three-to-eight shift at Disneyland yeah. wearing the mouse hat. I like that Gritty has become such an internet meme that people assume that he's just a real character. Like, oh, yeah, Gritty, you know that guy. Yeah. Um... I guess the issue is there's no video or any proof. It's just a he said, gritty said kind of situation right. here. Yeah. I mean, I always assume that mascots have a rough go. It seems like a tough thing to do. I'm not giving gritty like the benefit I, of the I doubt. And I often assume that like some 13-year-old little dude was probably like being a jerk. Yes. Yeah. Probably acting up, probably harassing the mascot a little bit. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, as somebody who was once a 13-year-old boy and knew many 13-year-old boys at the <laughs> yes. time, like generally like dickheads disrespectful, pushing boundaries. Not that the mascot should be allowed to punch children. I get no, it. No, I know. But like, you know, at the end of the day, like, what are we, what are we, what's really going on here? I can't imagine that the guy who played Gritty just decided willy-nilly to get up and punch some kid. Well, this seems right? like, like, yeah, this seems like some really ginned up, like, maybe he <laughs> went and swung around and, like, hit the kid. He's like, all right, kid, get out of here. And, you know, just, the kid got bumped and somebody saw them and was like, did you just punch my kid? And then somebody sees dollar signs because it's like, oh, you know, professional sports team. It just, I don't know. It just seems... Apparently that's pretty common. I've read a little bit of stuff about this. Apparently the Philadelphia, the Philly fanatic, like, mm-hmm. was, he's been sued a ton of times. from Everything yeah, yeah, yeah. from, like, falling down while going through the crowd and landing on somebody, oh, my foot. Or, exactly, like, yeah. somebody got hugged too much. Oh, he hugged me and it hurt my ribs or whatever. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It seems like an easy way to like get money from somebody. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I, I don't mean to be cynical. I hope Gritty didn't really punch this kid, or whoever played Gritty didn't really punch some kid. I sure. hope that's not the case. Uh, another weird story this week, and I guess we'll close out on this. Then we'll do a bit from other blogs. Uh, in and it's a really, really strange marketing decision. Uh, Planners Peanuts announced this week that their 104-year-old spokesnut, Mr. Peanut, will no longer. Represent the brand following the mascot's sudden passing. He's dead. They killed off Mr. Peanut. He was 104 years old. Uh, And if you've seen the commercial, he saves, he commits a selfless act by sacrificing himself to save Wesley Snipes. This is a real commercial that you'll see in the Super Bowl. Two questions for you. Uh, What is number one? (laughs) Just, I'm confused. And two, there's no chance Mr. Peanut's really dead, right? This is all just a ploy. They're going to bring him back to life 
on Super Bowl Sunday, right? Yeah, it's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. <laughs> it's so strange. I don't buy it. It's so weird. It's a weird story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Mr. Peanut, he's dead. It's weird how many people are just like, we are encouraged that people have come out to mm-hmm. support Mr. Peanut. He's not real. Again, it's the same thing with Gritty. There's not a real person. He's not a real anthropomorphic peanut. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's a good marketing plan because people were talking about it. Sure. And I'm also impressed that he's been around for 104 years. The planner's been around for 104 years. But I guess that's about it. So, yeah, Mr. Peanut, he's dead. What a shame. Uh, sure. All right. Uh, quick bit from other blogs here, and then we will uh, we'll call it a, a day. Oh, this is an interesting one. I actually don't have a question for it, but I've seen people talking about it a lot lately. Mm-hmm. There was a picture that went around on Twitter and social media and Reddit that made a lot of noise, and it was a picture of a guy who had taken a razor and cut his book that he was reading down the center of the spine mm-hmm. to turn it into two books so he could take one with him and take the other one later if he didn't want to read the whole book with him. Mm. And people got really mad about this because they thought it was def- destroying the books or defiling the books. What are your thoughts? You're, bi- you're the only other like really like book literate person I know who reads a lot of books. What are your thoughts about, like, ripping apart a book or destroying a book to make it easier to use for yourself? I mean, it's dumb. Like, it's foolish. Uh, I don't... I wouldn't. But, like, it's it's this guy's book. If this guy owns the book, like, it's within his rights to do that. It seems silly and short-sighted, and I don't really understand it, but, you know, I'm, I'm like, mad at this guy? No, that's silly, too. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't think he's doing it to, like, hardcover books. Like, I think this is the kind of thing you would do to, like, a big old paperback or something if you didn't want to yeah. take it with and, you. Yeah, and I've got tons of cheap paperbacks that are in terrible condition, you know, that... I guess if you didn't want to, I'm just like, how big is this paperback that like you can't carry the whole thing with you? Well, yeah, the guy, the book that the guys were talking about was like Infinite Jest, which is a crazy long book. It's like, a huge book. Yeah, uh, like a Dostoevsky book. So mm-hmm. again, also big. And then Middlesex by Jeffrey something. I never mm-hmm. read Middlesex. But in, Infinite Jest is a huge book. So I can understand maybe if you don't want to carry some massive tome on the subway with you or something. Sure. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I've had books like that, though, that are massive, and I would never... I just like the art of a book in the same way that I like the art of, like, owning a record. Yeah. Right? There's something about the tangibility of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, what if you want to read it again? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. down the road, what do you want? Some split book on your bookshelf? That's... Also, the minute you split it, like, yeah, maybe it stays together for a minute, but you're... You're, you're on you're borrowed structurally... time. Yeah. yeah. You're on borrowed time. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That's pretty fair. Yeah, no, it's silly, but, like, being mad at the guy is also silly, because it's his book at the end of the day, so what can you do? Yeah, so, I mean, do what you want with your books. I find them to be artistic, so I wouldn't want to cut my books up or rip them apart. But, hey, as long as you're reading, I guess, do what you do. True. Uh, all right, I think that's good. We'll uh, we'll close out here. Um, Heather will be back next week. Hopefully, we're uh, we'll be happy to see her. Uh, thanks again to Beth and Dave Coombs uh, from Light ninety eight point seven. Always a pleasure to have them on. You can follow Kevin uh, on Twitter at uh, underscore Kevin Sullivan. You can follow me at SF Doom, or just follow the show at Uticast. We are on Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcast, taking over the web. Uticast.com for all current and back episodes. Cyanar Humanoids, keep it tight. Woodstock lives. Uh, The tape machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time, and we will see you next week on another episode of the Unicast. Bye-bye.